abort flight 1969 surface to jet nation radio look at what a leader this guy is Bolt is fighting for his job this year this is what quarterbacks are made of Doug middleton get a 50 yard onside kick how stupid can you possibly be making that much money folks grab a snack let's go to eat a goddamn snack and join joe blewett and glenn Naughton for jet nation radio <laughs> And you are listening to the 11th edition of the watchable version of Jet Nation Radio on YouTube after our week hiatus because I was sick with the flu and uh, pneumonia for about, well, I'm still technically sick, but it's been about two weeks, but fighting off to do a show for you guys tonight because uh, we can't just skip a whole bunch of weeks here. Um, So we're excited to be back. Glenn, my man, what's up? Uh, Not a whole lot, Joe. Glad you're feeling better. Uh, I know you messaged me a day or two before the show last week and you were like, not, uh, you feel, feeling like it may not happen. No, um, no so no way. glad you're up and about again, uh, on, on the mend as they say. And you know, Hey, we got, we have breaking jets news to cover just here in the last 20 minutes or so. So, uh, let's, uh, let's get rolling. However you want to start this thing off. Yeah. Um, like 103 fever for like eight days was not too good. I told you I lost like 10 pounds. So I got to start packing on some weight and eating some burgers again. Uh, this, like I said, we will get into everything that's happened. The, the John Martin firing. We're going to be talking about the Jets overall roster. We'll be looking at the Jets free agents. We're going to be looking at the um, Jets rookie class and how they performed in 2017. Then we'll go over some other minor news. I'll ask Glenn if he knows some stuff because I've been out of the loop for about a week. Uh, Glenn, is there anything this past week that you uh, wrote or were on or anything that you want uh, people to go check out that you were? Um, uh, just, you know, just uh, standard updates uh, on JetNation.com. Check out the homepage. Check out the forums. I did do a, um, a brief, uh, a quick article today on the, uh, the Robbie Anderson situation, not just the situation itself, but where it leads to Jets because, let's face it, um, this isn't a receiving core that uh, – this wasn't like a top-notch core, but it was good enough that it probably <clears throat> probably wasn't a huge priority heading into free agency in the draft. You know, maybe look at some mid-level um, free agents or, you know, mid-late round receivers. But now with, uh, you know, prior to this, the biggest question mark was Quincy Inunua. Now, you don't know if Inunua is going to be the same guy. You don't know how long Robbie Anderson is going to be suspended for. Um, you don't – I mean, I don't think the Jets will let him go, but I don't, I don't think it's out of the question if it uh, – if it turns out the, the reports of what he did are true. So basically beyond this year, I mean, you know, you got 2018 coming still, but beyond this season, the only receivers under contract are, uh, you know, Jermaine Curse, Chad Hansen, Ardarius Stewart, and Sharon Peak. So, you know, with Robbie and uh, Quincy Inunua. It, well, Inunua uh, still has to be extended for, for this year coming up if, if they would, the Jets want to keep him. Uh, right, but he's he's an ex- he's an exclusive rights free agent. So, I think as long as he you know, as long as he shows up and all of his medical stuff checks out, they'll bring him back in. But you know, I, I think uh, one of my uh, one of the best comments I heard on you know player recovery and player tests and finding out if guys are ready um, a few years ago. I, I'm trying to remember, they may have been talking about uh, 
there was JJ Watt. They were talking about JJ Watt's back injury on Sirius XM. And um, it was Pat Kerwin. Pat Kerwin said, you know, they have all these tests to see if you can be medically cleared to play, but none of those tests is getting run into by a 300-pound man during a football game. Like, you might, you might withstand all the medical tests, and then you take one hit, and your body can't, can't stand up to it. So too many question marks, and now, you know, at least you had, you had a guy in Robbie, you could say, all right, we have a guy who's proven he can take the top off the defense, draw extra coverage from a safety, open things up underneath. Now, is he looking at a, you know, multi-game suspension? Is he going to be gone? Uh, who knows? So that kind of complicates things even further. Yeah, we'll it really get, is. The, we'll one get. of the few areas on the team that, where you felt comfortable, and even that now is – Yeah, we'll get into all the, um, the charges and stuff like that, Glenn. I have it up on my phone. You can – we'll go through it later. Um, exactly. I don't know if you have all the nine charges or whatever it was, but we can go through just the um, generic type yeah, of thing. I don't have them. Like I said, we'll, we'll go through it in a little bit. I, there was a whole police report I, I read, but I don't think – I'm not going to read three pages, you know, 500 words to everybody listening to the show because I'm pretty sure they would just, click off. Um, but I did a quick – Nine counts of being an idiot. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Basically, he's an asshole, but we'll talk about his um, his assholism, assholism uh, farther on in the show. Um, but this week, assholery, assholistic, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so like I said, this week I did a Quincy and Nunois film review. It's about 47 plays, or I think I, whenever I finished it, the last two weeks, the last two weeks have been cloudy, but I did a Quincy Nunois film review. If you want to check that out right now, I'm working on a Jamal Adams review. I'm on recording about the seventh or eighth game. That's probably going to be, I want to say around a hundred plays. So if you really want to take a deep dive into me with, with uh, Jamal Adams film, like I said a hundred plays, it's going to be very, very extensive. Um, I went on the Turn on the Jets podcast last Wednesday with Joe Caparoso. We recorded about uh, the Jets free agency, um, some needs, some underrated, overrated guys, stuff like that. So if you want to check that out, go ahead. I was on there with them. Um, we didn't get any reviews the last two weeks, so our listeners are a bunch of bums. Uh, we love you guys, but you're a bunch of bums. <laughs> um, and then the final thing, Glenn, before we get into it, is go to YouTube, subscribe. We get a you know a couple of listeners there, not as many as I would necessarily like, but like I said, I understand it's a lot easier to just listen. Um, but if you want to follow along in the film, we probably put up anywhere from 15 to 30, 35 plays every single uh, time when we're talking. So, like I said, go to YouTube, go to Jet Nation, hit subscribe. You'll you'll get a notification on your YouTube app every time that we go. Um, and post an episode up there. So, Glenn, we'll get into the firing of John Morton first. News that broke last Wednesday. Like I said, I just there was no freaking way I could I could barely stand up without almost gagging and throwing up in a toilet. So I couldn't do a show last week. So um, everybody's gonna have to forgive me. But the Jets last so, Wednesday. So it was like watching a Jets game. Yeah, basically. I rather well, no, I don't know. Yeah, it's just as bad, I guess. Um, but the Jets fired John Morton, a guy who I liked a lot more than other Jets fans did. And I think other Jets fans, when you look at the statistics, I don't know exactly where they finish in offense. Glenn, I know like efficiency or whatever, they were 24th, but then other rankings, they were 26th, some other rankings, they were 27th. I'm not sure exactly which one is the, the bread and butter go-to rankings. But anyway, I'll say anywhere from 24th to 26th. Uh, was an offense that was supposed to be historically bad, uh, an offense that I personally expected to be bottom three in the entire league, probably number two to the Cleveland Browns, and they weren't. Uh, a lot of people come out and say that John Morton, you know, the Jets come out fast starts, you know, 10, 13 points in the first quarter, the first half, and then they would fizzle out. But the problem 
with that is, yeah, you know, it, it was good that the Jets came out for 13 points and all that stuff. Um, but then they, they, people got mad at the fizzling out. The problem with the fizzling out was the Jets didn't have the talent uh, on the team to, to really, you know, uh, keep on with the 13 points, 10 points in the first quarter. Because look at the offensive line. Look at the skill positions. Even though you say, yeah, you know, Powell was good, Forte was okay, they're still average uh, players at best. Even the receiving core was average at best this year at times. I would say below average because other than Robbie Anderson, they're all – they're all journeymen, you know, or rookies who are just okay players at very best. Um, so the Jets couldn't sustain it, but there were some games where, you know, versus the Chiefs where they scored 38, uh, versus the the Buffalo Bills at home they scored 37, versus the Carolina Panthers who have a, you know, air quotes good defense. They put up, what, 31 points versus that team. So there were some games that they, they broke out and played pretty well and say, say the rankings all you want. Yeah, the Jets average 18 points. They finish at 26th. I thought they were going to finish almost dead last and, and average like 17 points a game. So John Morton overexceeded my expectations with a lack of weapons, with a lack of an offensive line, with a quarterback who's 38 years old. So I liked Morton. I wanted him to stick around. Apparently there were some problems in the locker room. There were some coaches who were, were rubbed the wrong way. Uh, Glenn, just initial thoughts, and we'll dive into it a little bit uh, more deep. Well, you know, I think that a lot of fans, myself included, were, were uh, uh, disappointed initially. You know, I know that, uh, of course, the uh, I, I think I, I messaged you, and I actually I did a, a short article on that as well. Um, the tweets that we saw from Manish, I thought it was kind of clear that, you know, he was he was hinting at a, a change at OC. You know, he, he did the article saying Morton wasn't safe, and then two or three days later he started sending out these, you know, a storm is brewing, something's coming. Um, so that, you know, that obviously that's what he was talking about. I think that again, initially I was disappointed, but then regardless of what I may think of Todd Bowles as a head coach, he is the head coach. And if the head coach is telling the offensive coordinator, how he wants to get, you know, how he wants a game plan design, not calling the plays, but if you're saying I want X, Y, Z, you do it. And you know, the reports I read is that you were, were that, um, John Morton wasn't doing that. But at the same time, though, if, if the issue, if, if we're to believe as it's, you know, as it's being reported, was that Todd Bowles wanted to run the ball more and John Morton wouldn't, I don't know how they don't get on the same page there. I mean, all John Morton should have to do is show Todd Bowles a couple of minutes of film of that interior offensive line, and Todd Bowles should be happy to go five wide the rest of the year and not run the ball because there's a reason why John Morton wasn't running it. So it's one of those unfortunate situations where – you got to do what your boss tells you. Um, and really, in that case, all John Morton would have had to do was run the ball and say, you know, hey, Todd, you, you see that we scored nine points today because we ran the ball because we couldn't move it down the field. Um, so should they have been running the ball? No. John Morton was doing the right thing um, in trying to win. But like it or not, you got to do what your boss tells you or you get fired. And that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And we, we've talked about it many times. There were some games, Glenn, where, where fans would come out and say, oh, well, they should have ran the ball this time on second and one or third and one. And the Jets' offensive line just couldn't, couldn't hold up in the run game they at were, all. And, and, when, and when they did run the ball, they, would, they, they, they were terrible in short-yarded situations. Absolutely terrible. So you can't I, run the- I still I still hear people. I don't even remember what game it was now. What, what game was it when they were on the one and they threw it three times in a row? Was it against uh, Carolina? Oh, God. May, yeah, maybe, maybe it was against Whoever Carolina. It was against, I still hear people coming out and criticizing that. I hear Joe Beningo screaming at Manish Mehta last week. Why are you throwing the ball three times on the, from the one-yard line? It's like, because they have no run game. If you had a run game, of course you're going to run it once or twice. 
But when you're getting pushed out of the backfield, into the offensive backfield, um, every time you run the ball in short yardage, I have zero problem with throwing it three times. I mean, sure, mix in a play action, whatever, but I have I have zero issue running the ball or throwing the yeah, ball three yeah, times. Yeah, but even even your offensive line is playing that poorly. Even play action, the only, the only the way that play action is really effective is when um, you could set up the run game where teams are actually threatened by the run where the linebackers will cheat up. When your run game is so bad, the linebackers aren't going to cheat up really anyway. So the, the play action is effective when the run game is working. That's why the Jets were effective with the play action when Mark Sanchez was here because Thomas Jones and Leon Washington and those guys would jam it down your throat and then the, the linebackers and the safeties would cheat up a little bit and then Mark Sanchez – would throw it over their heads. It's, you know, not like Mark Sanchez is Peyton Manning or anything, but that's why that – I mean, they're, they're going to be – yeah. I mean, they're going to be around the line in the end zone either way, but I, I get what you're saying. But it's it's just a matter of if you want to mix it up, I, I understand that. But I have no problem with not running it in when the O-line is that bad. Yeah, and I like and I like his concepts. You know, you saw you saw the pole concept, hawk concept, crease concept, sale concept, hank concept, and you saw Petty come in. And then you see the flat sevens, you see the screens, you see the tosser concepts all the stuff that's really, really simplistic reads. Um, so he adjusted the Petty, and pe- people will say, well, Petty was this bad and he was that bad. Listen, the best offensive coordinator, Bill Belichick, couldn't fix uh, Bryce, Petty, uh, Bryce Petty at this point probably. I'm not going to say definitely because it's freaking it's Bill Belichick, so you never really know um, because he's amazing. But still, it's you know he, he wasn't working with a lot. Even when McCown was in, it's McCown and a terrible offensive line that, can't, that you can't run the ball and support the passing game. So I liked Morton a lot. I think I think if Morton came back here, and you gave him, let's say, a Kirk Cousins, a new center, um, an Allen Robinson or a Jarvis Landry type of receiver, maybe another tight end, and maybe a, a running back like a, I don't know Jeremy Hill who will be available in free agency, you could pound the ball with it with a yard to go. Um, I think this could be an average to above average offense, and this was a guy who was only in his first year, so it's not like he was a. Oh, I, th- I believe he was a coordinator earlier earlier in his career. I forget with who, um, Glenn. I think it was just one year. But regardless, a very young offensive coordinator, a young mind in the yeah. game, a guy who could have grown. It's not like a guy like, you know, Norv Turner, who's been in the league for 17,000 years. He has to grow like everybody else has to grow. So uh, I-, I liked him. I thought it was a mistake that they fired him. Now, if like you said, and I said before, if the Jets were – the coaches were rubbing the wrong way with him, players didn't like him, they were having arguments – Yes, Bowles is the coach. He makes the final decision. But I think X's and O's wise on the field, this is a mistake. Uh, Glenn and the other coaches, and anything else you want to um, talk about before we uh, move on to the next firing? Because you have more info on that firing than I do. Uh, no, I mean, that pretty much covers it. You know, like I said, I, I, thought, I thought he did some good things. I think that with, you know, as with any coordinator with better players, we would have, we would have had better results. You know, you bring in a Kirk Cousins, that makes a, a, a huge difference from working with Josh McCown and Bryce Petty. But again, if, if you're not going to listen to your boss, you're not going to be around long. Yeah. So he's gone. And now, as you said, you know, more news. Um, Steve Marshall, O-line coach, is gone. He's a guy who's been in the league for 10 years. He's been involved with some of the worst O-lines in the NFL. He was uh, he was in, uh, where was it, Houston for a little while. I think he was there with David Carr when David Carr used to get sacked uh, 300 times a year. Uh, you know, appeared to do a, a good enough job the first couple seasons. But – as you know, we talked about to the point that it just got nauseating. Na- yeah, no, that's exactly where I was going to be nauseating to talk about. But as I said a few times, now again, we, we've covered Brian Winters, the torn abdomen, that explains a little bit. But James Carpenter and even Wesley Johnson to a degree. Wesley Johnson, you know, as bad as he was this year, he was a far better player last year. He wasn't great, but he was competent. 
And he was the exact opposite of competent this year. So when you have two guys up front like that, they take enormous steps backward. You can't not at least look at firing the guy. And I think Steve Marshall is somebody, if he had a stronger resume, maybe he gets another year. But he hasn't done a ton. He did, you know, he, he's done a, a good job, if you want to be generous. But this past season, it was they were so bad that you couldn't ignore it. So uh, whether or not you, you like the John Morton firing, I don't see how you could be against letting Steve Marshall go at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and even guys like the, the – like everybody – regressed uh carpenter regressed wesley johnson and competent you know say competent if you want to but he was competent enough where the jets felt like they can give him another contract and go into the season with him as their center uh brian winters a guy who i think is is barely average even when he is healthy uh obviously his health and his lack of health showed up this year but even with the lack of health he was still dismissing assignments at times as well even the backup guys jonathan harrison looked like shit when he came in uh ben ajalana when he came in as an extra offensive lineman just looked lost at times. Um, so the offensive line regressed in a whole bunch of different aspects and he got fired for it. And I'm not going to come out here and say, Oh, well I like, you know, John Dickinson from Maryland, their offensive line coach. He's done a good job. I don't know how much offensive line candidates when the jets fire our higher one will research. will tell you, but I don't have a list of, of um, offensive line candidates. Glenn, I don't think you do uh, necessarily either. Now I do not. Yeah. With, and, and with John Morton too, um, I forgot. I forgot what I was gonna say, but now apparently they're going to hire uh, Jeremy Bates as the offensive coordinator. We saw from some bigger guys, you know, Adam Schefter's and whoever else reported that the Jets will be hiring him. What are your thoughts on this? And this is a guy too who was out of football for four years, hiked whatever trail he did. Uh, apparently, they, the Jets wanted to hire him as an offensive coordinator last year. Talked to him about it, but he was non-committal about it because he was not sure if if he was wanting to stick around in football for a while. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on that on uh, hiring Jeremy Bates? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's one of those things that, as with any move, you have to wait and see how it pans out. But on the surface, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that there were more qualified guys available. Um, we know that you know uh, Haley just got let go by Pittsburgh. As I said to you before, we kicked off. It's it's that that's like a Rex, remember the time Rex Ryan fired his offensive coordinator when the Bills lost the game, like like. 42 to 35, like the, you know, Rex Ryan's defense got blown out and he fired the offensive coordinator. And now you see Haley, you know, his, uh, the Steelers, the Steelers lose a playoff game, you know, 45, 43 or whatever it was. And they fire the offensive coordinator. That guy's had some great years um, with some, you know, he's had some bad years, but everybody does, but he's, he's got a far more impressive, far more impressive resume than uh than Bates, who's spent one season as an offensive coordinator with the with the Seahawks back in I think it was 09. 10. Um in twenty ten. Um that season Marshawn Lynch, his starting running back, and uh Matt Hasselbeck, his starting quarterback, both had the worst seasons of their careers. I want to say they finished twenty third in the NFL in scoring. Um Hasselbeck yeah. threw Hasselbeck tied his career high with 17 interceptions through a career low 12 touchdowns in seasons where he started at least 14 games. And Marshawn Lynch averaged a career low three and a half yards of carry. And you bring this guy in. I mean, Daryl Bevel just got fired by Seattle. I know he made the single worst call in the history of the NFL, but he's still got a more impressive resume. Um, you know, especially, I mean, gosh, you're looking at the, 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 the these Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson comparisons you got a chance to get Baker Mayfield 
and the coordinator who's worked with Russell Wilson all this time is available, and you, and you promote a guy who has one year who you had to check with him to see if he wanted the job. Like, some people want these jobs so yeah. badly that you don't have to, you know, double-check and see if they're interested. So this, to me, I, I, I try not to be too skeptical, but it to me it reeks of, you know, is Todd Bowles looking at Todd Haley and saying, you know, I'm a defensive genius and I keep blowing leads and my, my defense keeps getting its doors blown off. If I bring this guy in and the offense looks, you know, outperforms my defense, he's got head coaching experience, I might be hiring my replacement. Um, I think that has to go into the thought process because why else would you not look for an experience? I mean, you really – I know you got a two-year extension, but you're still not really – in a way, Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan, they're not it's not like they're uh, they're entrenched now and they're safe for the next two, three, four years. They're still you know doing their jobs to save their jobs. You would think Todd Bowles would say, I need the best guy I can get who's shown he can do this. And instead he brings in Jeremy Bates, who might be great. I don't know. I mean, one year, to be fair to Bates, one year is far from enough to decide whether or not a guy can do it. But the one year he did have, the results weren't impressive. And, um, and a lot of guys, like I said, with much, much more impressive resumes, didn't even get an interview. Yeah, I, honestly, I would have just liked to kept Morton. Um, and I was going to say before, Glenn, and yeah, there were some bad games like that versus the Broncos or versus Tampa Bay. But a lot of those games that the Jets won was because of their offense. Like they were put up 38, 37 points. Um, and yeah. even, if, even if you just compare, like you said, Kirk Cousins, even if you just, you don't even consider the money in free agency. I know it's kind of hard to say like, what if game, but the Jets, if they had Kirk Cousins this year, could have easily had seven or eight wins. And that's and that's a, you, you can tell it the Miami game, the Patriots game, maybe even like the Bucks game where their offense just couldn't come over, uh, get over the hump. So, and I, so I like the offense. A lot of people say he's easily replaceable, but I would like to see – I don't think a lot of people are going to do better than he did with the lack of talent that he had. It's easy to pull up numbers and say numbers. Oh, well, numbers this, numbers that. He had this 27th. Look at what he was working with. Josh McCown and one of the worst offensive lines in the entire league. And I know that we're pretty high on, well, not pretty high on him. We're relatively high on Josh McCown, but still, it's just, there's not a lot of talent uh, on this team. It's not like the defense was holding guys off for the offense. They didn't really um, kind of have to like put the team on their back at times, which they did. So I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I wouldn't like Bevel or whatever from uh, the Seahawks either. I just watched too many games and there's a lot left to be desired, but I would rather have him. Um, then Jeremy Bates, the guy I said on the uh, Turn on Jets podcast when I was on there was the um, was Todd Haley, and because Todd Haley, listen, yeah, he has great talent, but he's also a proponent of developing that talent with with guys like Brown and um, Martavis Bryan and Bell. So he helps develop these guys. He helps them put, put them in be- uh, in good positions to succeed. Uh, he's done that a lot over the last you know, a couple of years, I think he was hired in 2012 with them, the Kansas City Chiefs old uh, head coach. So, I, yeah, I would have rather have had Haley. Now, am I saying that Bates is going to be a bad offense corner? No, not necessarily. If you look at his resume, okay, you know, you said that about Hassel, not Hasselbeck, uh, yeah, Hasselbeck, but McCown set career highs with the Jets in completion percentage, 63%, passing yards, 2,926, passing touchdowns, 18, rushing touchdowns, 5. Um, next season will be his 10th coaching. He was the Bears QB coach in 2012, Seahawks offensive coordinator in 2010, Broncos QB coach in 2008, uh, the wide receivers coach and the quarterbacks coach in 2007 for the Broncos, offensive assistant in 2006 for the Broncos, Jets quarterback coach in 2005, assistant QB coach uh, for the Bucks in 2004, 
Bucks offensive quality control coach, 2002 to 2003. Apparently, he's a he's a disciple of of Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan's the same type of guy uh, that Jeremy Bates is with the West Coast offense zone blocking scheme. So you're not going to see much of a change there. Now, will you see a change? Okay, where Morton like to run a lot more sale, where maybe uh, Bates will run a lot more levels. You, you never know. That that's that's you have to wait to see on film. For right, that. right. Yeah, we have but, no idea. But the same type of of system, the same type of terminology, the same type of zone blocking scheme, where obviously zone blocking scheme, it's not 100% zone blocking. You're probably still going to see at least 20 25% power and, and man blocking type of stuff. Uh, Mike, our Matt Hasselback was asked, I, I guess by Rich Shimini, and uh, Matt Hasselback said that, you know, 2008 Mike Shanahan um, offense with the Broncos in 2008 is exactly what uh, the Jeremy Bates will run. So I have to look a little bit more into that maybe, but that offense was ranked number two in the league. So, you never know, Glenn, but at the same time, when you have a guy in Morton around, I would rather have kept him, like I said, Todd Haley too. But I guess we'll see how it works out with him. But the Jets better get this freaking right because regardless of what's happening or, or what you think of the offensive coordinator, the Jets quarterback will be here next year. Whoever it is for the next couple of years, it will be this year. Because like you said with, with Mike McCagney, with Todd Bowles, regardless of the stupid contract extensions, it's, it's, it's just – kind of like um, saving face. If they, if they, I'm not going to say the F word, but if they screw up this year, they're gone. If they, Josh, yeah, they can't, they can't. Even, I mean, and, and that's what, like, people get into, I already hear people saying, you know, what does the Jets record have to be for, for these guys to save their jobs? It, it's so ridiculous to even discuss that because if they go, you know, if they go out and they get a Baker Mayfield or a Josh Rosen or whatever they do and you know, this team, you know, say, say you start off two and six and then you win seven of your last eight. Like, you're eight and eight, but guess what? Like, you're heading, you're heading in the right direction in a, in a huge way. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of people will say that front offices that are on the hot seat will draft the young guy because it buys them a couple of years sometimes. You know, ownership will give them a little more leeway if a young quarterback has taken a year or two to come along. I don't have a huge problem with that. The thing is, get a damn quarterback in here. They're going to do that. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. And, I, you know, I know it's going to be a little while, maybe a couple more weeks at least, till we start talking draft. But while we're talking about Haley, I think big thing you can't ignore with him is look at, where, look at the success he just had in Pittsburgh and look at who his quarterback was, a big mobile quarterback with a big arm, kind of like Josh Allen. If they go, I'm telling you right now. If they draw, if they if they draft Josh Allen, we're not doing a show anymore. I'm not even kidding. I, I'm not gonna be able to deal with it. So that's that's the end of that. Who? Josh Allen. If the Jets draft Josh Allen, no, no. I'm saying Cleveland. Oh, please, please, T- God, take him. Todd, Todd Haley is in Cleveland now, and they have yeah. the top pick. And you know there have been comparisons Josh Allen to Ben Roethlisberger when he was in college. Why? Because he's big and he, can, and he has and he has an arm. Dude, Josh Allen is because he's going to be terrible huge and mobile. There's not a lot of huge guys. But right, I get that. But there, like, you can't find an evaluator who's not saying this guy's a top ten pick. And now the fact that you can find, uh, I can find, I can find a lot of them. Honestly, I, from. From Jeff I mean, maybe maybe, maybe Twitter, Twitter fans, but like I'm talking like like the Kuipers and the Matt Millers and these guys are are saying that this guy's a top ten pick, and now there's people saying that the the guys in place in Cleveland like him, and Todd Haley Todd Haley had a guy who just came from a a team that where he had a, a big mobile strong arm quarterback, so 
That would take be him, take that's him, that's please, because if the Jets take him at six, I'm going to lose it because I see – I've watched – They can't. They, they can't. I, I think they can't. I've only watched two of his games. They and can't. I've never seen like, – that. he makes terrible decisions. He, he throws easy interceptions. He misses wide-open throws uh, where, yeah, he might have a beautiful throw. and has they, beautiful they, the, the Jets are not taking him. They, you cannot take him. If they you take cannot, him when their job take, is on the line and they have to take, develop him. No, exactly. You can't take another guy who's completing 50% of his passes. You just can't. They did it once with Hack. It blew up in their faces. They, that's why you got to get a guy like Mayfield, somebody with an, an accurate thrower, get an accurate passer. And um, <clears throat> that's no, what or, or, you just, or you just get Kirk Cousins. You don't have to worry about any of this shit. That's, that's what we want. Ideal. Um, I mean, that, that's, you know, I've, uh, I've made it clear that's my, my top choice. But I really think, I think the John Elway thing is going gonna, is gonna to sway, you know, the same way Peyton Manning was wooed by a Hall of Fame quarterback GM. But, um, but the Broncos only have like $28 million in cap space right now. And that's before they even signed their own free agents. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if we have enough space. You know how that works nowadays. You cut two or three guys, you rework two or three contracts, boom, there's another $25 million in cap space. Yeah, we'll see. I, 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 don't, I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll see with, with Kirk Cousins. But the Jets, like I said, they better, they better walk away with either Kirk Cousins or a, or a guy like a Tyrod Taylor or Case Keenum and a first-round quarterback, whether they be Mayfield, Lamar Jackson – Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. If they walk out with Allen, I'm going to lose it because I've never seen anything good from Allen. I've only watched two or three games, and I'll admit that because I don't, I don't have his film yet. I'm going to try to get it, but there's nothing that impresses me. Yeah, he's big and he can throw. Wow, that's, that's great. I know a lot of guys who could, are big and who can throw. doesn't mean you can play in the NFL. And when you're in a Division II school, um, you're supposed to dominate your opponents. That's what you want to see, Division II, Division II, Division III, when we see that many times. You want to see them stand out on film and dominate and rise above their competition. And he does not do that. When you're completing, what, 50-something percent of your passage against, against Division II schools, what are you going to do in the NFL? He's, he's not going to be a good player. He like, reminds me of like a Paxton Lynch type of prospect um, with a bigger arm, but he's a guy who got drafted because of his um, you know, running ability in his arm. So and, I, I, I mean, ho- hopefully Denver likes him at five. Denver asked for him and, ba- him and Baker Mayfield. De- Denver requested them for the uh, – for the, the senior bowl because they have their staff there. They said, these are the quarterbacks we want on our team. So they get an extended look at both of them now. Okay. Well, and that's yeah, it. Gonna... again, John Elway, big arm mobile quarterback. Does he see himself in Josh Allen? We're going to dive more into the uh, quarterbacks when April rolls around because it is January and I'm already starting to see mock drafts and this guy visited that guy and this, I'm like, yeah. I, I, I do not care right now. There's nothing. There's not one source right now, whether it be a Matt Miller or Rich Samini, a whoever, Mel Kuyper, all those guys are guessing. And, oh, oh, he met with a guy? Yeah, they meet with 5,000 prospects. Who, who, who the hell cares? They meet, they meet with everybody. They I don't meet. care. I don't care. We're not talking about it. We're not, we're not going to dive into the, oh, my God, the Jets met with Baker Mayfield. The Jets are drafting Mayfield. Like, we're not, we're not one of those shows. If you listen to one of those shows, I don't know why you do it, but you're stupid. So I'm sorry. It just it, it means nothing. If I if I've done I've done the show for three years, Glenn. If if anything, if this show's told me anything, do not look into the draft before like the day before the draft. Like it just there's just no point. Um. So okay, so we did we did more and we talked about uh, Jeremy Bates. You know some of the other guys we'd have liked more. We'll, we'll see what his offense brings. It's it's hard to to really judge. Like I said, we know we'll see the West Coast offense, more short dink and dunk with some deep shots down the field, the zone blocking type of thing. Steve Marshall got fired. The offensive line coach will will dive into who they hire um, when they hire him. We're not going to do a whole, you know, 45-minute segment on offensive line coaches. I don't know 
what they implement or, you know, do they like a bucket step more than, you know, 45 degree step? I don't, I don't know, uh, which we'll see. But let's look at the roster, Glenn. We're going to look at the roster, I guess, kind of just in general, we'll go through the positions. Then we'll talk about some of the uh, guys who were drafted last year. We'll talk about their rookie seasons and what we thought of it. So I guess that we'll start off with the quarterbacks and kind of our outlook for the guys who played in 2017 and 2018. Josh McCown, is this a guy that you expect to be back in 2018? I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise anybody. They, you know, whether they get a Kirk Cousins or you draft a Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen, you, you, you obviously, you're still going to need some depth. Um, and, uh, you know, you're going to want an experienced backup, if, especially if you're looking to, looking to be competitive early on. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. I know I saw today Rich Samini said that um, McCown had been on committal previously, but now he's saying he'd like to come back next year. He'd like to come back for the Jets. I think he knows, you know, I think he knew this year when he came that he was, you know, that they were going to give a guy like Hack an opportunity to take that job. And we saw how much playing time Hack got in the preseason. They wanted him to win it. He was just terrible, so he didn't. But um, I think he'd be happy to come back in a backup role, and you could do a lot worse, really. Yeah, we had 18, 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions this year, Glenn, with, like I said, a, a lack of talent on the team. So a guy who's a backup, yeah, I, I, I could live with it. But even McCown coming back, like let's say if the Jets draft uh, – Mayfield or Lamar Jackson or whoever it is, you know, quarterback A, A B, C, D. Um, I do, I wouldn't necessarily prefer McCown. I would like a guy like Case Keenum, a guy who's a little bit younger, who maybe could be your starter for a couple of years, maybe a, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, maybe a Tyrod Taylor, who'd probably be up there in my options. And I'm not saying that, you know, would I love Case Keenum to be the starter for one, two, three years? No, not necessarily, but he's. I think he'd be a better option than Josh McCown because he has the potential um, to be a you know starter for a couple of years, even though it's not ideal for me. I would like a guy in the first round to, to play well or uh, Kirk Cousins. But So there's a couple of guys I prefer over McCown, but worst-case scenario, I would be okay with him coming back. Um, like I said, there's definitely guys I prefer over him, Tyrod Taylor, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, and a couple more guys. But we'll we'll see. Maybe a, maybe as a quarterbacks coach or whatever it may be. Um, but he played good this year, so we'll see. You know, he's he's a journeyman quarterback. He made some bad plays. He made some, uh, or he made some good plays. He made some bad plays like this one, coming throwing into a cover one with a safety over top of a nine route and just throwing it right to him. So he's still a you know not a great quarterback, but still uh, Bryce Petty, Glenn Christian Hackenberg. These are two guys who. We're either expecting one of them to be cut uh, as a, you know, maybe they'll come back as a third or fourth stringer. I know you said you'd be okay with keeping four guys. I'm not necessarily. I'd rather keep three um, because I think they're both garbage anyway. So I think one of these guys are going to be back, probably going to be petty. I think Hack is going to be here for two years and be cut because he's just that bad. He's that bad of a draft pick. Um, but there's not much of a more outlook for those guys unless you want to add anything. Do you want to move on to running backs, Glenn? No, I mean, you know, some of the names you mentioned, you know, Case Keenum obviously had a big year. It's going to be interesting to see what he's able to command on the open market. I wouldn't mind Teddy Bridgewater or Tyrod Taylor. Um, I think with, uh, with Teddy Bridgewater, he's another one. Like, how much can he command? He, even though he, the Vikings played well his first couple seasons, he wasn't great. He was good. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't think he was good enough that you'd say he's going to command big money. Uh, and I think those are all guys that, as you said earlier, and I've said previously, I'd have no issue if they signed one of those guys and took a quarterback at six. 
I think the only guy that I maybe wouldn't take a quarterback at six would be Cousins. I think if you get Kirk Cousins, yeah. you have a bonafide starter for five years. If they did do that, I honestly wouldn't hate that either. Because if that guy develops, I mean, we've seen what happens. If Kirk Cousins, you know, continues to play as well as he does, and you draft a guy behind him who can play well, that you can trade one of those guys for a couple first-round picks and have a quarterback. So I wouldn't hate it, but it would surprise me because of the money it's going to take to bring him in. I think if you bring in Kirk Cousins, you then draft a left tackle or an edge guy or, you know, something like that. But, uh, but yeah. Chubb. Give me Chubb. You know, the, the more I see it, the more I think about it, I wouldn't be shocked if he went to Indy at three if Indy doesn't trade down because they need playmakers and their defense has been so bad for so long. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie to you say, I even watch really film on any, anybody more than like the top couple of guys or have seen film, but the thing with the, with the free agency and we'll, we'll get into like, you know, in in coming weeks, we'll we'll talk about free agents and stuff like that. But a lot of people will just kind of see Ezekiel Anson and Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. We want those guys. People forget to realize that you you need scheme fits. They're four three defensive ends. They're they're two sixty two seventy, um you know two seventy five. Can they fit as an outside linebacker in in a three four guy who's going to be a nine tech? A lot of the times in the Jets defense, guys like who are nine techs are guys like you know a Khalil Mack or a guy like a Von Miller who are two fifty. You need speed to play off the edge in a three four. So you can play. Yeah, it's easy to plug in an Ezekiel Asa. He's a four three defensive end. You don't know if he can transition into that. So. You're gonna give a guy a bunch of money. How, that you how don't, big is you know? he? I I feel like he's too big. Is Eagle Ansa is two seventy five? Last that's that's the last I looked. Okay, I, I thought he was bigger than that. I thought he was like a two eighty five, two ninety guy. Yeah, but even, yeah, but even okay, even if two seventy five, Glenn, that's a massive outside linebacker on the three four from a oh, nine tech. Because yeah. nine tech, you need so much. You're covering more ground, so you need a lot more speed <clears> to get to the quarterback. Um, we're not a four three defense. Yeah, the Jets do line up in a four three, a four four, four two a lot of the times, but. Um, or not a lot of times, a decent amount of times, but still, he's he's not a three four defensive end, so I'm not or, or outside linebacker, so I'm not sure how to handle that because the guy that they're going to use, you know, going to be on the weak side. You have a strong side guy in Jordan Jenkins who's going to play tight five tech and who's going to who's going to um, you know command the edge and set the edge and and stop the run. But the Jets don't need a guy like that. The Jets need a a weak side pass rusher, um, and I don't think that's those guys. So that's why I always kind of plug in Chubb at six if the Jets. Want to go that if he falls that far, but yeah, if, right. the, Jets, if the Jets do get a Kirk Cousins, yeah, first round's a little bit too high, too high for me. I'd like to see one of those premium positions drafted. You know, the, the cornerback, got um, it. It offensive, had, it offensive tackle, outside linebacker. Uh, that, that that's as much as I've defended Mike McCagnan because I have. He, I mean, the roster is bad, but the cupboard is bare at, at the at the premier positions. It's and and you have an opportunity now to address at least three of them, if not four. Uh, you know, through the draft with the money you have in free agency and having, you know, three picks in the top 50, there better be a tackle. There better be a corner. You better get a pass rusher. And of course, a quarterback, you've got to be able to find that. And a center, those guys. Yeah. And a center is an absolute need. I'm not going to call that a premium position. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely chance. need, but not premium. And, and there's, there's two or three guys I'd be happy with a free agency. Um, but I'd also yeah, like Broncos I, guy, Broncos guy, Jensen. There's another two guys Jensen. who, yeah. Who, who ranked out pretty well, who we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into one of those shows when we actually look at them. Um, but, Glenn, let's get into running backs. Uh, Powell's going to be here under contract next year. There's some people who want to trade him. Um, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying I would or wouldn't. If they do, I'll be okay with it. Uh, McGuire's going to be here. Now, I think the Jets do cut Forte. If they cut Forte, they're going to have a million dollars in dead money and save $3 million. I think they do that. I think they bring in a guy. Like I said, we're not going to get too much into free agents, but I like to see them bring in a bruiser. You've been calling it for 
for for multiple years or months at this point, Glenn. Maybe a guy like a Jeremy Hill from the Bengals came out of LSU, who's a, who's a kind of a bruiser type of back. But I think the Jets do get rid of Forte, and I think that it's McGuire, it's McGuire Powell, and another guy, whether it be you know drafts from the you know third to seventh round or a guy like a Jeremy Hill in free agency. But I do think Forte is gone. We we've said it on Forte that we think he's better than people think he is because people look at stats and look at his yards per carry, say how bad he is, but he was okay this year. He found some holes. Um, but at this point, he is, he's older, and I'd rather give some time to a younger guy they sign in free agency or that they find in the draft. So, Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, as you said, I've been talking about it for a while now. There's got to be a bigger guy in there, and, and we talked about it during the season. You know, Matt Forte outperformed both our expectations, a lot of people's expectations, just in terms of what he was able to do. The stats weren't there, but when you watched him on film, he was able to do a lot of things that people thought he couldn't do anymore. No, he's not the same player he once was, but he's he was still – if the blocking was there, he would have been absolutely fine. The blocking wasn't there, so the numbers weren't there. But at his age, you know, any minute now he's going to fall off a cliff. And, exactly. You know, in all likelihood, that's next year. You're rebuilding for the future. You know, guy had a great career, high-character guy, tough guy not to root for. But I think it's safe to say he's gone, and, and I hope he does well wherever he goes next. Yeah, um, like I said, we're not going to get too much into – for agency, but I think a guy like Jeremy Hill would, would fit well here. The Jets do need that bruiser type of guy. Um, and you think Powell's back here next year as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that even though he's knocking on the door at 30, you know, I've been saying for a few years now, um, three or four years, that this is a guy that you won't have to worry about him the way you do other guys when they reach 30 because he's had low reps in the NFL. If you look at his his carries in college – he didn't get the ball a whole lot in Louisville, and he's one of those guys who doesn't take a lot of big shots. So he's probably, even though he's knocking on 30, he's probably got the tread of a, a 27, 28-year-old. I think he's got at least two good years left of him. Yeah, and he's a high, and he's a high-character freaking guy, too. You never hear any yeah. problems with Powell. Yeah. Um, and that's like we, we did it at that like pound-for-pound pound, toughest guy on the team. Powell's up there, too. Do Powell? Yeah. Guy just, it's, it's unbelievable. Stature. Every time I go back and watch him from, you know, previous seasons, yeah. the, the way he just – he breaks ta- – he doesn't run people over, but he's a tough guy to bring down. And by NFL standards, he shouldn't be. He's not a bruising back, but he just – he's a, such a good player, man. It's, you just I, I wish they would have given him more opportunities throughout his career. But, um, you know, hopefully they do something decent before, he's, uh, before he hangs him up. Yeah. And, um, okay, so we'll move on to tight ends, Glenn. Austin Safarian Jenkins, what do you think about that situation? Uh, Sterling is a guy who, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too much into backups. I thought Sterling was okay when he was here. He was a decent blocker. Um, same thing with Tomlinson, decent blocker. Had a few plays in the, earlier in the year, and then he, he kind of got phased out towards the end of the year for a guy like Sterling. So I think they, they prefer Sterling over him. So probably next year looking at Sterling, Leggett, and then whoever it may be, whether the Jets sign a guy in free agency or re-sign Austin Safarian Jenkins. We've said it before, and, I, and I'm not going to speak for Glenn, I think Austin Safarian Jenkins is an average at best tight end in this league right now, at least right now. Don't hype him up like a pro baller because he's not that. Um, but, you know, if he's looking for six, seven million dollars right now, like kind of average range, I'm fine with paying him. But if he's a guy who's looking for eight, nine, ten million dollars a year, uh, you know, don't let the door hit you on the or you know, on, in your ass on the way out. He's just not that good of a player. So six, seven million dollars for a couple of years, yeah, I'm fine with that. But anything more than that, Glenn? Um, I'm not stretching too far out for Austin Safarian Jenkins. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, what was that? Uh, there was a basically a, a report recently that 
the Jets offered him two years, eight million. And you know, I, I've, I have a hard time. You know, we, we talked about this. We talked about it with Kyle Smith, and we said, yeah, he's he's one of those guys in the, the six million range or whatever, and that's what he's looking for. But the more you know, I don't. He he really really disappeared late in the season, and I know I've talked about you know the possibility that maybe it was because of the fact that he uh, you know he this is by far the most reps he played in the pro season. He'd never really been an every down guy. He'd never been a full season guy. Maybe that took a toll. But I look at him and I think you could probably get similar production from a you know from a few different guys. He was far from great. Uh, I, I think early on, a lot of Jets fans, myself included, um, and, you know, especially when he was scoring touchdowns, it was exciting to have a tight end actually catching a football, even more so to have one that was catching touchdowns. Yeah, even in so, this game, Glenn, he dropped two touchdowns. So yeah, I know, and, up, so. And, and you felt like, you know, man, we, you know, like I said, I fell into that trap too. You know, let's get this guy resigned. Let's not mess around. We finally have a tight end. But then you let the season play out, and it's kind of like, well, we have a tight end. Like, a lot of teams have a tight end. It's yeah. just that we haven't had one for so long that you forget, you know, it's it's nice to have one, but he's not a game-breaker. He's not a – you know, he didn't prove himself to be a playmaker, which he may become eventually. Who knows? But really, you look at his numbers down the stretch, he averaged, like, three catches and 30 yards a game over the final seven or eight games of the year without a touchdown. I mean, I know Bryce Petty's bad, and I know, you know, Josh McCown was in there for a lot of those games too. And he was now – you know, we'll find out in the future if it was the way he was being used because as we saw in camp, and I think a little bit in the preseason, we saw him used down the field a little bit more. Um, for whatever reason, once the season started, it was all quick, short, four, five, six-yard routes and um, not really giving him a chance to go down the field and make a play. Now, is that because he's not capable? We'll find out. But I'm looking at it already like, you know what? I, I wouldn't mind if they walked away from him at this point. Yeah, the Panthers game I just put up. If you're if you are watching on YouTube, um, like I said, just go to Jet Nation, subscribe. But he dropped a wide open fade and another fade. You know, argue with the NFL rulebook all you want. It was it was a drop. The ball slipped out of his hands when he was uh, when he was on the ground. It is what it is. Even on this play, he's just an average blocker. He's supposed to check and release. He he lets this linebacker just cross his face, and he tries to come back and check him a little bit. Just doesn't really do anything effectively. And then he just comes in and allows a sack on the counter. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that, and that, that was disappointing because early in the year, it looked like his blocking was much improved. Um, and it probably was because he was even worse last year, but uh, it's still the consistency wasn't there and we saw him get beat a lot. So would I mind if he came back at two years, eight million? Um, I guess, you know, I, it's not the end of the world if they give him two years, 10 million. But beyond that, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I think. I, th I think six million is like, yeah, like the highest I would probably, I would probably like to extend Any, anywhere over that. I think it's a little bit. Um, crazy, and people might you know kill us for that, Glenn. But don't don't let uh, a decent tight end from a, or a decent season from a tight end cloud your judgment because the Jets have had such bad tight ends. It's not like tight ends are really that hard to find. There's a lot of them around in the league who are, who are pretty good, and you know people might say, well, then why couldn't the Jets? It's because the Jets just had their head in their ass for so many years um, that they just lacked so many basic things like a freaking tight end who can catch the ball. Um, Austin Severian Jenkins was. Okay, getting open, he had nice size, he had nice um, extension, but he wasn't uh, a stud athletically. He wasn't a great blocker. Now, like I said, I'd like to have him back for five, six million dollars or more than that. He's he's not a pro bowler. Those those plays I put up of him dropping balls in the end zone 
pro bowlers don't drop those balls. It's, it is what it is. Um, like I said, just don't don't let your your fandom cloud your judgment of how good the guy was. Now, should he have been used down the field more? Definitely. Could he have more yards because of that? Definitely, probably. Um, but still, even if he wasn't getting open too, too much underneath. But, okay, let's move on, Glenn. We, we talked about, you know, Sterling and Tomlinson. I like it will be back, so we'll, so we'll see. Um, wide receivers. Let's, let's talk about Anderson now since we're getting into wide receivers. Um, arrested again, Glenn. And let me just pull up uh, the, the article about exactly what it was. He's arrested on nine charges in Florida. Uh, if you're going to read off the charges, should I just go take a nap and come back in about yeah. 25, 30 minutes? I'm not, I'm not going to do all of them. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, Glenn. But a uh, police report re- re- obtained by Rich Cimini. Uh Car Anderson was driving was clocked at 105 and a 45, which is ridiculously fast. 60 miles per hour over the speed limit is ridiculous. Um, that's like you, you're killing somebody. Uh, he also ran multiple red lights. I believe it was two. And when he was pulled over, Anderson apparently threatened to sexually assault the officer's wife. Now, and I watched the news, and they were like, you know, he, he said he's going to rape the wife. He never said he's going to rape the wife, and if you have children, cover their ears, but he said he's going to fuck the, his wife and then come in her eye. So he never said he's going he's to rape Joe, her. Joe, would you give the poor listeners two seconds to get to their kids? Well, like, if you have kids, cover their ears, fucker. Like, like, well, sorry. It was, it was practically one word. <laughs> sorry. Well, you had a, I, hope you had, I hope you had quick reflexes. Um, oh my goodness! Come whatever. Here it is. I'm sure he doesn't know. They next don't know time, what next, they would, next, what word means. Next time there is ear cover worthy material, count to three. Now like don't Mississippi. be a, don't be a little a little you know biznatch. The, the kids have heard their dad curse in the car or something like that um, when he's that yelling in traffic. <laughs> okay, whatever. I'm not in the, whatever. I'm sure so, we have some responsible parents that listen to the show. So. He he was going to f the wife and c in her eye and make her a pirate. Yeah. Um, yes. So he didn't say he's going to rape the wife, but still, you're basically being a douche. You're being a piece and I, of crap. I, I think I think he used the term nut. Oh, whatever. So, whatever. That's I guess that's a little. I don't know. But still, you're you're being stupid. You're an NFL player. You have a great opportunity in front of you. You're only making eight hundred thousand dollars a year. You you have the chance to make tens of millions of dollars, but you can't keep your own head at your ass. Driving a hundred and five and a forty-five, that's just ridiculous. And the reason that's you know, like I I rather see like Sheldon. Sheldon going hundred and forty three on a parkway. Because a parkway, people can't really yeah. turn onto a parkway. In a forty five yeah. zone, that's like a residential area. Yeah. That's where, that's where a kid can run out for a ball. That's that's where somebody turns out from going zero miles per hour, not on a park where you merge at 45, 50 miles per hour. So that's worse than Sheldon driving a fast. And, and, now, and now, his, now his lawyers come out and said he was driving so fast because he feared for his life. Well, didn't the lawyers say that they were, the, the, the cops were profiling him? It's putting your life in jeopardy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scared these people might hurt me, so I'm going to drive 105 miles an hour, which is super safe, and I would never get hurt. Yeah, so, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the lawyer apparently said that Robbie Anderson didn't make a sexual threat and that he was racially profiled. He wasn't racially profiled when he's going through red lights and driving and running away from the cops and driving 105 and a 45. So that's just beyond ridiculous. People will just I feel like that. that that's, that's my biggest issue. One of my biggest issues with our legal system is that I know you're the lawyer and you're a douchebag if you do what these guys do. You shouldn't be allowed to tell the story of what happened if you weren't there. <laughs> like, I hate when these lawyers come out and say, this is what happened. 
listen, dude, are you going to testify as a witness yeah, or what? No, if he because had, you weren't there. Apparently, the lawyer was in the cop in, in the car with the cop and said, oh, my God, that guy's going 105 and a 45. You know, if he was white, I wouldn't pull him over. But since he's black, whoop, 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 whoop. Like, no. He's an asshole who's yeah. doing 105 miles per hour and running red lights. There, nobody's racially profiling you. You're driving like a dick. Sorry. Uh, I'm, yeah, you know, that's uh... – I'm going to the police academy in a couple of uh, actually next week, and next week is when we're going to start. And I'm, I apologize to the people who do this, but real life gets in the way. Um, starting next week, the show's going to be an hour max because my days are going to be looking like waking up at three, get to the academy at four thirty a.m. I get home at five. I got to iron my stuff, uh, shine my boots, and I go to bed at about eight o'clock. So I have like fourteen hour days to worry about. So the show's going to be about an hour long until probably May. Um, unless we have to do like a special weekend show if we have to cover something huge. But other than that, they're going to make an hour long. Um, but I can tell you right now, no cop is racially profiling. When guys driving 105 miles per hour, you can't even see into the car. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's move on from that. The Jets aren't cutting him. He's, he's, he, the, the, he's the Jets' best offensive weapon. He, now he's probably going to be suspended for a game or, a game or two or four. Um, I, I mean, this is, he got arrested at the concert earlier in the year. This is two altercations with law enforcement. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it's more than four, at least four. Uh, four. Okay, so we'll say four to eight, which is terrible because he's such a freaking he, – he's an amazing player, and he has the ability to be a guy who's getting 10-plus touchdowns with 1,000-plus yards every single year. Um, but if he can't keep his own head out of his ass and make the excuse that he's you know, 23, 24, I'm 24, and I understand we were raised differently most likely. But still, dude, you have a chance to make millions of dollars. But if he if – he, you know, screws it up. He screws it up. He's going to be on the team next year. Uh, suspension is, is probably definite. We'll see for how long. Other than that, the Jets have Jermaine Curse, um, Chad Hansen, Stewart. I, I, and the Jets obviously have Quincy Nunwa. And I'm going to get in. We're, if, the, if we can, Glenn, we'll take a deeper dive into some of the Nunwa film I did in a little bit. But I would like to see the Jets add another receiver. Um, you know, is, is it their first priority in Fragency? No, it's not necessarily their first priority. But if they can get a guy like a – Dante Moncrief or an Allen Robinson or a Jarvis Landry for a decent amount of money and add another um, weapon to that group for a young guy coming in or to entice a guy like a Kirk Cousins to come here. Um, I would enjoy that. So I think that I would like to see the Jets, or I would definitely like to see the Jets add another guy um, to their wide receiver and core. So, Yeah. Um, you know, as we've said, we're not, we're not going to start diving into the draft yet, but I'm looking closer myself now at wide receivers than I was before because it's, it's a bigger need now than it was a few days ago. Um, and, you know, depending on who you listen to, is it a deep class? I think there are some, some good mid round, mid round guys that can be had because even though they need a receiver, you know, they probably need to add a couple, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't add one before, you know, late round three, if you trade down or, you know, round four, there are too many issues that are bigger and let's face it, you know, the, we used to talk all the time. If, if you think back, uh, the conversation, and still to a degree, was about how you can find really good running backs late in the draft. That's kind of become the case with receivers now because the league has become so pass-friendly. Um, some of the best receivers in the NFL are guys that were fifth, sixth, seventh round undrafted guys. Robbie Anders was undrafted. Um, a lot of guys undrafted that, uh, the, again, these pass-happy rules, you can get receivers really late. So even when you see these guys get taken, you know, the last few years, these receivers get taken in round one, two, three. A lot of them aren't much better than, than the guys you're getting later in the draft. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's a low, 
it's a low need, but the Jets have you know uh, thousands of staff members looking at the film in the offseason. If they like, like, let's say like a guy like a Dante Moncrief, who's not going to command a ton of money, they want to add him, and you add him to Quincy Nunwa and to Anderson and to Curse, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I'm not going to just carve out a role for Hanson or Stewart. They have to earn it themselves. You know, so um, it, it is what it is. But Glenn, like I said, let's let's. Uh, Geez, I have way too many Quincy Nunwa film clips that I that I brought up here, but we'll we'll move on. We'll talk about that in a little bit if we can, um, which we probably will because I just like I said I did I did a whole review on it, so I'd like to bring up a little bit the offensive line, Glenn. It's looking next year like most likely unless they bring in a guy in the first second round who they didn't want to develop, um, maybe they can start. But for the most part, it's going to be the same offensive line. Uh, Beecham's probably going to be your left tackle if they cut him. They have seven million dollars in dead money and only $2.5 million in savings. So you have to kind of ask yourself, is Beecham worth $2.5 million? I, I think he is. He was an average left tackle in this league last year, at least in my opinion. Carpenter, left guard, 2.1 in dead, $4.7 million in savings. So you have to ask yourself with him too. Is he worth $4.7 million? In my opinion, he is. Do I think he's going to bounce back to the first two years of James Carpenter as a Jet? Probably not. But do I think he's going to bounce back? I, I do think he will. Johnson, uh, Weston Johnson has no contract in 2018. He's not going to be on this team. He was absolutely terrible. Winters, if you cut him, it's $7 million in dead money and $0 saved. So Winters will be here as well next season. So it's not like you just get rid of him um, because you're just losing $7 million and not saving anything. And then Shell will most likely be your right tackle. For Shell, I would like to see them bring in somebody to compete with him. I'm not one of those guys who thinks he's going to be the long-term right tackle here. I think he's a slow uh, kick slide. I don't think he has great athleticism in terms of his power, in terms of the run game. I think he's okay pass blocker, but run game uh, leaves a lot to be desired, at least for me. So I like to see them bring in competition, but he's making little to no money, so he'll be here probably competing for a job. Maybe with that first-round guy, Glenn, if they draft whoever it may be in the top of the round one, he'll probably compete with Shell for that right tackle spot and then kick over to left tackle and beat him move. So. Um, but the offensive line for the most part, unless it's a new right tackle and a new center, I think left tackle, left guard, right guard are going to be the same uh, going into 2018. I think so. But, you know, one thing that, that crossed my mind in thinking about this recently was uh, the fact that Kelvin Beecham used to be a right tackle. And if you're already paying him, and if you draft a left tackle early on, then do you have Kelvin Beecham compete for that spot on the right side? Um, <clears throat> not ideal because he probably – He's probably, much like Shell, probably a better pass blocker than run blocker. Oh, definitely. But yeah. let's face it, if you're going to bring in Kirk Cousins, yeah, if you're going to bring in Kirk Cousins, you're going to want a guy who can, uh, you know, keep him upright. And Beecham, Beecham was, he was good last year. He wasn't great. Um, but he, he's a guy, he showed, he's a guy you can live with him out there. But if if they decide that left tackle is, you know, is a priority and they, they sign a Kirk Cousins, do you take a left tackle at six? Or do you take a left tackle, you know, with your first, second round pick? Whatever you do, if you bring one in, you don't necessarily have to cut Beecham. You can let him compete with Shell on the right side. Maybe, you know, he's making a little too much probably to be a backup. But um, I, I think he hangs around and they find a role for him, uh, whether it's on the left side or moving back to the right where Pittsburgh had him a couple years ago. Yeah, he, he was a decent pass blocker, left uh, a, a good amount to be desired in the, pa- in the, in the run game where he didn't get a lot um, done in terms of movement. But even like Shell, like I said, like here, like, you you have you have leverage or you you're trying to pin this guy or this uh what is it it's a uh f- three tech 
and he's not able to pin him inside when he has position on him, and he just lets the three uh, the three tech just shoot through the gap and tackle Powell in the backfield. He just he's not a very powerful guy, so I don't know if he's ever going to be a long term right tackle because the right tackle you want to be able to run more because like I said, you typically teams do run to the right side more because that's where they're um, they usually put their tight end. But um, we'll we'll see. And I have a couple more plays. I've I've already showed these plays, kind of of. Uh, our interior of our offensive line getting beat. But like I said, because you're only saving $4.7 million with uh, Carpenter, I think he's worth that. And you're not going to just cut uh, Brian Winters for literally $7 million of dead money and no savings. It would, be, it would make no yeah, sense at all. No, so no. Um, like I said, I, I, I think you're going to have a new starting right tackle. Actually, I'm not going to say that maybe a new starting right tackle. The only thing I will guarantee is a new center. So we will see with that, but, it's it's just I wish some of these guys uh, could be replaced this year, but you know we have other things to worry about as well. And then moving on to the other side of the ball, Glenn, defensive line. Uh, I think McClendon is here. We've talked about McClendon many, many, many times. You're only saving three point two five million dollars, which I think he's definitely worth with eight uh, eight hundred seven. Yeah, yeah. You're only saving three point two two million dollars. Um. And he and he's definitely worth it. He was he was absolutely fantastic this year. Yeah, there's no no reason to let him go. Yeah. Um. So so he's here, Glenn. You're not. You're definitely not going to cut him, right? Oh God, no, no. He's a damn good player. I think for his position, you see guys play uh, into their you know into their mid thirties. I, I wouldn't mind seeing seeing him get a one or two year extension at this point. I'd, as a matter of fact, I'd love to see that. I think he's earned it. I think he's played far better than anybody anticipated, and. I'd like to see him get rewarded for it. He's just high character guy, high performer, and underappreciated. Even this play, look how quickly he he penetrates he, I'm uh, telling from you, a, from I mean, a two eye, and look how quick he gets into the backfield to tackle Landry. Like, I, do, like I get a job. I, I shouldn't get as mad as I do, but when I see Jet fans say that, oh, McClendon, he sucks, because fans they go to the box score and they look at sacks, and if they don't see a bunch of sacks, they assume a guy sucks. Like that dude is a difference maker on defense. Look at that. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, and then with that, Glenn, Mike Pennell is going to be a free agency. Is, he's a, is he a guy you're looking to uh, re-sign on this defensive line? I, I'd have no problem with it. You know, it's, I, I don't think he'll be asking a lot of money. I think, you know, we talked about how well he played down the stretch after being – I mean, he was invisible slash – I mean, he was invisible, but they weren't really playing him. Early in the year, he was playing kind of – eight, 12 snaps a game. So he wasn't getting a whole lot of run. Um, he had the big penalty, of course, against Carolina. They, they pissed a lot of people off. But after that, man, he really straightened himself out. And he played, he played really good football down the stretch. So, I mean, the, the question then becomes, you know, again, especially in the modern-day NFL, how many run-stuffing D linemen do you need? But um, if you're going to have a couple of rounds, I wouldn't mind having him. Yeah, but to compensate for for Wilkerson's uh, absence, which he will be gone, we're not going to talk about Wilkerson. He's he's not on his team anymore in my mind. Um, we'll, talk, we'll talk about him exactly when he gets cut and how when much he gets cut. the Jets save. But other than that, he's not even a Jet. But at this point, like even like on this play with with Pennell, like you're a zero tech. Um, the the play side left guard and the center combo block you to give the center uh, leverage to the play side. What does Pennell do? He sticks his arm in, in the center's uh, chest pad and just drives him with one arm uh, to the play side gap, and he, he disrupts the run for Lewis. Cuts it off. Look how freaking – dude, you have to be strong as hell. This is what it. I mean. 
Joe, this early in the year, I, I, I didn't do an article, but I started a thread on Jet Nation uh, in the forums and saying, like, how is a guy as big as he is? And we saw him in camp. He's got arms. I, I think I saw Leberfeld say, and he said it. I think it was him, whoever it was, said the guy's got arms like fire hydrants. Like, he should be the strongest guy on the team. And you look at him, like, he should just be able to push people around like he does in this play right here. But he wasn't getting on the field. We weren't seeing it. And then once once he got the rotation, we saw it, and that dude can play, man. So I would have no issue bringing him back. Yeah, and and it's all and it's all dependent on what what he wants. And like I said, you're you're gonna, in my opinion, the Jets are gonna sign a defensive end type role player. Uh, maybe it's even a Coney Ely who you just resign and he plays more. And then you see McClendon as a as a two two I uh, three tech more, and then you see Pennell more and as a, as a zero as a one. Um, but I think they're both back next year, and I think they both play some more snappers or get, they get some more snaps because of Wilkerson's absence because he's going to be off the scene because he's a freaking bum. But both those guys should definitely be um, signed back here, and those are two guys who I, I bring up all the time uh, as guys who are underrated. And now Coney Ely is another guy, Glenn, you think he should be re-signed? I, I think he should. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's all dependent on money. We don't know what these guys are getting offered. We don't know what the Jets are looking at. We're talking in, in, you know, in relative to like, okay, is it an acceptable cap number? Do you want him back? Coney Ely played really well um, when he was in the game. He got a ton of pass deflections. He got, uh, he broke some like records for pass deflections in terms of his snap count, and he got pressure on the quarterback a good amount of the time. You know, he didn't get a ton of sacks, but he he was there. He was getting there. So Coney Ely is a, definitely a guy who I would like to see resign as well. Yeah, you know, high motor guy. Uh, he was disruptive from the outside, and a guy that you can probably get back <clears throat> without breaking the bank. You know, there's a few guys on this defense that, even though collectively they uh, they weren't great, they still need they need one or two difference makers. But in terms of depth guys, you know, you look at Coney Ely, David Bass comes to mind. I really like the season he had. Um, I think he was a little underrated. So um, th- there's a few guys with Ely being one of them that I'd love to see back as. You know, spot starters, depth guys. I mean, Ely as a starter, he can start for you. But there's there's some good players on this defense that you know a lot of yeah. people don't uh, don't realize. Yeah, I'm gonna go through the list in a couple in a couple minutes, Glenn. Like all of the actual like free agents, we make sure we cover all of our bases. Um, but yeah, and then outside linebacker, you're looking at Jenkins, Martin. They'll both be back next year. Bass is a guy who we both want to um, re-sign. A guy who could be a, a role player for the Jets. He he had a pretty good year for what he was asked. Now Malden is a guy who's coming back from the. IR. I'm not sure if a guy like Malden's going to be back here. Um, at this point, I like Bass more than him, and I like Josh Martin better than him. The, Malden did absolutely nothing in his second year that really impressed me. Even his first year was just, you know, it was meh at best. Um, inside linebacker, Julian Stanford's a free agent. I don't care if he comes back or if, he, or if he's here. It, it, it's whatever to me. He just, he just needs a jag at this point. Bruce Carter's also a guy who's a free agent. And inside linebacker is another jag who could be easily replaced. Um, Demario Davis is a free agent. Now, what are we looking at with Demario Davis, uh, Glenn? Because other than him, you're looking at Dar- uh, Darren Lee, um, uh, who who was he was bad in the beginning of the year. He had a stretch in the middle of the season where he looked like he was really improving. And then towards the end of the year, again, he really dipped back down in his production. He's a guy at this point in his career, you're hoping that he could be a average linebacker. I think we'd all take that because at this point, I think he's a below average linebacker. He just looks completely lost in coverage. And at times in the run game, he gets bullied around because he's just not big enough. So you want to bring a guy like Demario Davis back, a guy who uh, is a good blitzer. He's a good tackler. He, he's good at recognizing what, what the, the play side gap and where the running back is trying to go. 
Do I think he's going to be DeMario Davis in 2017, 2018? No, probably not. He probably regresses to back to what he is, and you should probably see some more mistakes. But even at that point, I think he's a decent linebacker who I think should be re-signed um, if it is a reasonable cap number. Now, what is that reasonable cap number, Glenn? I think it's going to be – I think you got to look at the year he had. You know, I'd say in the $8 million range, when you look at what those guys make, I'd say $7, 8000000 million a year is where they'll end up with him if they end up re-signing him. I think it does have to be a high priority because, again, the Jets don't have a lot of guys on this team that uh, – that played at the type of level that Demario Davis did. He's still young enough that there is no reason to expect he won't be able to continue playing at that level. Uh, you know, of course, originally drafted by the Jets and uh, just did, did a really nice job for them. Emotional leader on defense and a guy that, that you know, he, there, there's never an issue with character. There's never an issue with effort. And this year the production was there. I don't think it was just a, a situation where, you know, sometimes you see a guy have a big year to get that payday, um, Mo Wilk. But uh, I think he's just the, the guy has the the, the uh, there's never been a question about his effort and desire, but I think it all just came together for him this year. He's in the right role, you know, a similar role to where Cleveland moved him last year where he played all right. But I think the Jets just had a, a better defensive front um, again, not uh, not in terms of getting to the quarterback, which is what a lot of people look at. But when you look at Leo and McClendon um, guys like that up front, making life a little bit easier for Demario Davis, I think, I think you got to bring him back. And I think it's, you know, in the seven, eight million range. And yeah, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a little bit lower than that just because of, of his production in the past. Uh, I think like $7 million is the, I guess the hot, like, I'm not going to get too like picky, like seven, $8 million. If they want to bring him back for that, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to lose it because the Jets do have a hundred million dollars in cap space or near it. Yeah. And, and you have a guy like this in next playing next to him, which you can't cover a, a freaking fullback coming out. Um, into the flat, you know, Darren Lee. So he's just – he's not impressive to me. But then also with Lee, you see plays where I'm going to bring up like uh, like this where he sniffs out a screen and makes a tackle where he uses his athleticism, but he's just so damn inconsistent. So that's that's the scary thing with him. So I think bringing uh, DeMario Davis minus the first couple of games where he looked terrible – I don't know what happened to him after like week three or four, um, but he looked like a new player. And I think he's a guy who the Jets definitely um, look to, to bring back and to grow um, with, with Darren Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving on safety, Glenn, the Jets have Jamal Adams and Marcus May. Those are your two starters in 2018. That's pretty obvious. Backups, Rontes Miles is under contract, I believe for 2018. He's a guy who I, I would like to see go. I, I just, other than special teams, I'm not impressed with him at all. Um, really in any aspect of his game. Now, he plays okay in the run game, but you have guys like um, Lee and even Marcus May who, who could fill that role in the run game where they're uh, really impressive there. Uh, Terrence Brooks is a guy who's a free agent. Yeah, maybe you bring him back. Doug Middleton's a guy who I've openly said I have much I like him uh, coming out of, of college as an undrafted guy. He's a guy who I was really looking forward to playing. Unfortunately, he's had some injuries and things like that. So let's see uh, what he can do when he comes back. But you know, nothing too much with safeties, clients. We, we pretty much know if, if we have a big need at safety at one year after drafting two guys in the first or second round, there's probably a, a pretty freaking big problem in Florham Park. Um, so cornerbacks, now it's the Morris Claiborne question. What are we looking at with him? Because, l- listen, people, people who say he was a pro bowl type of guy in the beginning of the year, I think you're, I think you're lying to yourself. Uh, end of the year, he really dipped off where – what did he play, 12, 13 games, Glenn? So he, he did play – a much higher percentage of games than mm-hmm. he did in his previous years. Um, so can you expect that next year? No, not necessarily. Was exactly. he a number one lockdown corner? No way. 
in my opinion, he's a guy who's, an, who's a really, really good number two, a bad number one. That's why I think he has a bad number one, a really good number two. Um, so, so pay him like that. So if you're looking at, you know, seven, $8 million on him as well, a little bit of a, of a raise from the $5 million, I believe it, he made in 2017, you're gonna have some injury clauses in there. Um, I, I would hope, but he's a guy who, yeah, if, if you're going to pay, if you're going to pay him like a number two, fine. If he wants number one money, I'm sorry, but there's too many guys in free agency, hopefully who make it. A lot of people look at the free agency list and say, this guy, this guy, that guy, we're going to sign this guy. A lot of guys get tagged. A lot of guys get signed, but Looking at guys like Kyle Fuller, who I like a lot, Prashad Breeland, um, Colvin or Kelvin, whatever his name is from the Colts, is getting some high praise. I've, I haven't watched him on film, but uh, he's coming out. You have Malcolm Butler. You have Tremaine Johnson. So I think the Jets would be smart to sign like two two cornerbacks in Freight and Sick. If they, if they bring in a guy like a Butler and Fuller, that's the type of Freight and I'm looking at. Or, you know, the, you sign a Butler to be your number one and you re-sign Claiborne. But I think the Jets have to walk away with either signing a guy like Claiborne and then, and then signing another number one, number two guy, and then signing some role players uh, as, your, as your backups because the Jets going into next year, literally they, they have uh, Buster Screen, who I think is going to get cut, and you have Roberts, Derek Jones, Jeremy Clark, and Rashad Robinson, I believe. Is he under contract, Glenn, next year? Who's that? Uh, Rashad Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Buster Screen, are you looking to bring him back? And then what are you looking at for Morris Claiborne? Buster's Screen – $2.5 million in dead money, $6 million uh, in cap savings if you cut him. You know, in a perfect world, I mean, well, addressing Claiborne first, I think that he's a guy, if you want to bring him back, that's fine, but you don't pay much more than what you paid this year, even though he, he started 15 games, but I think one game he left like in the first quarter. So he right. played, you know, he played four, just over 14 games, uh, you know, but um He's his history is such that you, you can't you can't count on him. So if you're going to bring him back, it's got to be I say it's got to be based on you know giving some incentives based on playing time, and you can't have him be your number one. If you want to have him as your number two, and and work him in there, that's fine. But you better, as you said, I, I like Fuller. I like the idea of bringing Kyle Fuller in. So you bring in a Fuller, you resign a Claiborne, and then you got to draft another corner, and and sign another sort of mid level corner, um, and which brings you to Buster Screen. He's, um, I think that, you know, kind of like along, he wasn't along the lines of Darren Lee in terms of like he was good, then he sucked, then he was good. He was kind of week to week. He had a couple stretches where he was really good for two or three weeks, and then he was bad for a week or two, and then he'd have another good. Uh, I think we saw him at times this year play at the highest level we saw him play with the Jets. Like he had some really good games. Yeah. And you look at him and you think, well, he's still not very good. But then you look at cornerback play around the league, and again, as I said earlier, with how you can get these productive receivers so late in the draft, because every friggin' rule favors the receiver. So Buster Screen isn't very good, but is it worth keeping a guy around if he can give you eight good games a year or ten good games a year? You don't want that, but it's like the O line right now. Like it league wide, it's so bad that you have to overpay even if a guy is okay. Um, I would like to see Buster Screen get replaced. And if you would have told – you know, before this season, if you would have told me he might be back next year, I would have said you were nuts. But I think he had enough good games. And and if the, now, if the Jets were pressed against the cap, he'd be the first guy to go. But they could look at this and go, we got $100 million. We got him and Morris Claiborne. That's it. Um, just Just because – 
sometimes he's good, we'll keep him around. So I'd say he's got about a 50-50 shot, whereas before the season, I would have said he had about a 5% chance. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that assessment that he's a 50-50 shot. Um, now, like, I, like you said, I'd like to see him replaced, no doubt about it, but it all depends on how free agency goes. If the Jets leave free agency with, with just a um, you know, Malcolm Butler and they're not able to re-sign – you know, a guy like Morris Claiborne or able to replace screen in the slot, then you can't just get rid of a guy. Um, so he needs to be replaced before he uh, Jets do get rid of him. And all these positions, don't expect them to be, you know, replaced this year. Not going to get a whole bunch of really good corners this year and a whole bunch of offensive linemen. This is a couple-year rebuild. The Jets cannot face uh, corner this year. That, that, that's, one, that's one of the reasons I was, uh, I was so disappointed that Xavier Coleman got hurt so quickly once he got called up to the 53 because he was a guy early in camp. I was hopeful he could be Buster Screen's eventual replacement in the slot. And, you know, what he play a game, two games, and then he gets hurt and he's out for the year. So who knows what they saw from him, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, like like I said, we'll see with, uh, with Buster Screen if he's going to be um, replaced or not. But like I said, he, he has to be replaced before you cut him. You can't just cut him and not have anybody because this year was his best year. And it's not like I, lo- I like him a lot, but – uh, he's better than some other corners going to get out there, you know. So let's just go through the list. Uh, Josh McCown, where he talked about that. We, we would like to see him resign in a worst-case scenario, I guess. Morris Claiborne, pay him as a number two. Wesley Johnson, get the hell out of here. Demario Davis, you said $7, 8000000 million. I would say a little bit lower, but I'm fine with $7, 8000000 million. Austin Safarian Jenkins, pay him like an average tight end. Mike Pennell, we'd like to see him resign. Chandler Canzaro, I think he's a guy you bring back on a contract and let him compete hopefully again with Ross Martin. Um, uh, but we'll we'll see with that too. Coney Ely, we say we wanted to him resigned. Jonathan Harrison's a bum. Get rid of him. Bruce Carter, Jag. David Bass, resign him. Julian Stanford, Jag. Terrence Brooks, a Jag too. Let's be honest here. Uh, Chris Gat, Chris Gregg, probably a guy who's going to get cut. cut uh, get cut. Next and biggest guy, Dakota Dozier. Glenn, what do you do with Dakota Dozier? It's his contract year. You give him a blank check, man. Whatever he wants. Blank check. Just, oh, okay. Just just bring him back, whatever it takes. No, <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously I love the idea of bringing him back. Um, as I mentioned <clears throat> a couple of minutes ago, and as we hear consistently from from insiders and experts and analysts and ex-coaches, just O-linemen are not good uh, nowadays, especially guys coming out of college because everyone's coming from a spread offense and they don't know how to play in a pro system. The ball comes out in 1.2 seconds. They never have to block anybody for more than a couple seconds. Um, Dakota Dozier has been up and down when he has had playing time as a purely as a depth guy. Yeah, sure. You know, bring him back. Uh, Chris Gregg. Chris Gregg, I like. I do. I, 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 again, talking about ASJ, you know, especially if they let him walk. Without, a, without an established tight end, I would like to see him come back and get a legitimate chance to compete. And Terrence Brooks, in terms of, you know, I think it comes down to him and Doug Middleton, you know, for that, that backup free safety role. Dog. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know Middleton will be back in the mix, Terrence Brooks back in the mix at uh, at safety. So uh, I would like to see Terrence. I mean, I'd be fine if they brought Terrence Brooks back. Maybe they feel like they can draft yeah. somebody in the late rounds or get a free agent who can be just as good or better. That's fine. But uh, I like the idea. Of Dozier could keep some depth there. Chris Gregg, I like bringing him back. Give him another look. And um, and Brooks wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, Stanford, he can go. Bass, I'd really like to bring him back. And yeah. Bruce Carter, again, he's a special teamer. He's Plays a couple snaps. Yeah, I yeah. mean. So, Glenn, you before could, we – You could do worse, but you could do a lot better. 
Yeah, so before we get into um, – since we have some time here, I'll, I'm going to get into a couple of plays of the Quincy Nunawa film just to kind of see what we're getting back. We're not going to break it down like I did on, on Twitter, which, like I said, you can just go to our Twitters. Um, I even say it before, I'm at JoeRB31. You click on moments, and I put up every single play. Oh, not, I broke down the entire season, week one through 17. Uh, doing Jamal Adams now, I did Robbie Anderson's last year. I'm doing uh, – I did Quincy Nunawa, so if you want to check that out. You can check Glenn out on Twitter at EastFan23. Puts a bunch of articles up for uh, JetNation.com, which is obviously our website. Uh, but, Glenn, we got a question from our good friend uh, David O'Rourke, who says, uh, so with the Jets looking to promote Bates to offensive coordinator and the Browns getting Haley as their OC, uh, how do you think that imp- uh, impacts free agency and the draft plans for the Jets? Well, see, you know, this this is the the tricky thing. I, I don't think it imp- I don't think it impacts the approach because, again, the approach, you know, first and foremost, has to be getting a quarterback. But as I said earlier, I would have liked the idea of bringing in a guy who has had success with young quarterbacks, and that's not what they've done. So it won't change the plan, but it's going to be another uh, strike against Todd Bowles if they do draft the young quarterback and the guy doesn't develop, or you know, if we don't see gradual improvement throughout the course of the season, especially, I mean, let, let's say hypothetically the Jets grab Baker Mayfield and the Browns grab, you know, whoever they grab. And if, if, if the Browns quarterback under Haley plays great or, or, or shows a lot of improvement as the season progresses, while the Jets, whoever they end up with, um, stagnates or looks terrible, regardless of whether or not it's the offensive coordinator's fault, it's it's not going to look good for the Jets because you had an opportunity to interview some guys who have shown they can do it. You passed. You took a guy who spent three years out of the league, has one year as an offensive coordinator, and failed. So it's uh, it's not it's not a it's not a good look for the Jets if 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 Bates falters and Bevel and and uh, I mean Bevel hasn't been hired anywhere yet, but that doesn't mean he won't be. Um, so you know, we'll see. But it, it has. The only thing that affects the Jets' draft plans is that they need a quarterback, and and that that's all it boils down to. Yeah, I don't think it changes their plan. That's and and with all these variables they talk about, Glenn, with getting a new staff, with Todd Bowles and you know Mike McCagnan and the whole Jets organization, can they coach up a young quarterback? So far, they've proven that they can't. With Hackenberg, I'm not going to tie them to Petty because he's a fourth round pick. He's a, you know a shot in the dark. But um, you bring in a guy like Kirk Cousins, who's a known commodity. You don't really have to do much too much work with him. You don't you don't have to develop him. He already is what he is. He's a top ten to twelve quarterback in this league. So um, I think they'd be smart to to really put all their chips in on on Cousins because, like we said before, the Jets coaching staff and, and McCagan could be fired after this year. You never know. They didn't get guaranteed contracts in twenty twenty. So um, yeah. I, I, that's what I think. Kurt, I, I think that Cousins is is the smartest way to go. A lot of people are kind of you know. Okay, if if they get Haley, that means they're going to get a young quarterback. If they if they get Bates, they're going to get an old one. We don't really know what their plans are. People are, can take guesses um, as much as they want. We don't know what their plans are. We don't know how it affects them. We know that the Jets already have had their free agency meetings and that stuff. So they're still probably going through them. I I think they'd be smart to put all their chips in for Cousins. I think it'd be pretty stupid not to. Um, but we don't really necessarily know how it affects them. But uh, Glenn. I guess let's get into uh, Quincy Nunwa too much. I don't know if I'm going to bring up all of these plays that I brought up of him, but I guess we could talk about Quincy Nunwa and kind of what he brings um, to the Jets. And watching the film, he literally 
does everything from, from a lead blocker on power plays to a split inside zone blocker to playing slot to playing Z to playing X to playing H back, um, cutting the backside defensive ends to just, just literally everything. Uh, 2016, he had 58 receptions, uh, 857 yards, four touchdowns. And on this play, like I said, doing everything, he's on a jet sweep, and then he trucks over whoever it is, uh, defensive back. But he's just a freaking powerful guy, 225, a guy who could run the ball, a guy who's fast, a guy who's uh, physical, a guy who's athletic. So uh, he's, he's truly a, a jack-of-all-trades uh, type of player. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um... – I can't. I, I want to say it was this pat or last off season. Um, it must have been when we were talking about Quincy Nunwa and the value he brings. And I said that I don't know how many receivers there are in the NFL that can do what he does. And you know, he's he's not a household name, but when you see the way he plays the game, like his this, style, yeah, style. Like, like like this play, like right here, he's 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 lined up, he um, you know, out wide in a, in a twins formation, and. It, he blocks. This is this is uh, Vincent Ray. How many how many freaking wide receivers in this league can crack block a a linebacker who's running full speed? And he seals them to the inside. He doesn't let him yeah. get the fourth here. Yeah, this is a linebacker. So yeah, he does a really good job. Good technique. Turns him inside, and you know for, opens up the outside for the back. Now, of course, not a big game, but that's not on a noon one. No. And yeah, I I I said it a couple of years. I said it last off season when uh when we talked about his value and basically said that how many guys run a four, four, five that can line up at tight end H back anywhere, anywhere you want to put him as a receiver, you can do it. He can run a four, four, five. He's not afraid to go over the middle. He can beat you deep and he can, you know, he can knock the shit out of you as a blocker. So, and he can do this as a receiver. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of my favorite players. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the guy's just a player and it's unfortunate that not only was he injured, but, you know, as I've said before, a neck injury, man. You can't I, – I would love to see him come back and have a great career, but first and foremost, I want to see the guy have a happy life. So I don't want to have him see him come back and, and, and get a more serious injury with that neck. So I hope it all works out, obviously. But there's not a lot of guys that you can look to do, look to, to, do any, to do these things. Normally, if you find a, a receiver who's willing to block or who can block as well as he does – it's like a big plotting, you know, 200 and, you know, 35, 245 pound guy who's really a hybrid tight end. But Quincy just, he's a legit four, four, five guy and he can knock the crap out of you too. And he's not, he's not afraid of contact. Yeah. And the last player I brought up was there's a nine route versus Gilmore where he called over his head, fingertip catch, really nice body control to keep it, um, keep himself in bounds. And, you know, on a deep over route over in the middle, uh, tough catch in, in traffic. So he can go over the middle, catch tough balls. He can go um, down the sideline on nine routes and, and, and catch tough balls. He can block, like on this play where I'll bring up, where he just blocks uh, Cam Chancellor. Like you're blocking linebackers, you're blocking Cam Chancellor. Um, you know, and it's, not, and it's not even like he's back. He's blocking him on the backside of the play. He's blocking him on the front side of the play. And Powell's able to, get, to cut around Chancellor. Uh, who's known as probably the most physical safety in the NFL, and Inunua was able to lock him up on a play. So, uh, just just super impressive. I want to keep bringing up a couple of more um, plays now. In terms, of, and I will bring up some of his weaknesses on this play. What is this? Uh, oh, this is a, this is a physical. You see him in the slot right here, and I don't know who he's running this route against. Nice physical route. Um, gets into the 
the cornerback off the line of scrimmage. And then you can see, which is nice here, where he leans his body into the into the cornerback and then cuts off of leaning into the um, cornerback, which is giving himself some room on the out route. Uh, which is, and they run a sale concept here, so the out route in the sale concept or the corner route, whatever you want to call it. Um, so he's able to run routes. Now, are his routes really crisp? No, because I'm going to bring up a couple of routes uh, where he runs them pretty rounded. But uh, like I said, just just super super physical dude. This is another really nice play, Glenn, that I that I found. I watched literally every single one of his snaps. Uh, trucks, freaking uh, Earl Thomas over there. So yeah, I mean. There's really that, that I saw that play. I remember that play. I, you know, I can't remember if you were that. I was at that game, and uh, and I saw when you posted that clip, and I instantly remembered it. And I mean, again, how many guys can do that? Not not a lot. Not so, many. you know, really, really hope that he's uh, he's a hundred percent ready to go. And man, if not, that's gonna hurt because he's again and again. We talked earlier about Bilal Powell being a high character guy. Um, Quincy Noon was to me, you know, really high character guy. He had that. Uh, that shady uh, accusation early in his rookie year where uh, somebody, a woman said he did hit her or something like that. And uh, police investigation, league investigation all said nothing. You know, there was no evidence of anything, but then of course Ray Rice knocked his wife out. So they went back and suspended anybody who was accused. So uh, even after the league came out and said, ah, we looked into it. We don't see any reason for discipline. Uh, Then they were like, Oh, Ray Rice just almost killed his wife on video. So we got to go back and suspend Quincy Adumo for that. But uh, really, guys kept his nose clean and nothing but, you know, you hear nothing but great things from uh, from people who know the guy, from people that are close to him. So just uh, really hope things work out for him. Yeah, I'm going to bring up a couple more plays here, Glenn. I'll, I'll do it quickly. But, like, this is what we worry about with the physicality um, here, like being able to cut. I, I looked up this guy's uh, weight. I think he's like 280. But to be able to cut block a 280-pound defensive end yeah. um, on a play, like that's just for a, for a 220-pound or 225-pound um, wide receiver, just just so many ways you can use this guy. Like I said, everywhere as a lead blocker, as a backside blocker, H-back, slot, X, Z, everything. And people are saying, well, he's easily replaceable. Glenn, is there is there anybody else in the in the NFL you could think of on the top of your head who is as useful as him as as a, as a utility no. player? I think the best comparison no. for him is is Delaney Walker. Where yeah, Delaney Walker does everything. Now, Delaney Walker lines up as a wide to end much, much more um, than Quincy Nunoir, where Quincy Nunoir will line up as a Z or an X a lot more than Delaney Walker, but a jack-of-all-trades player. I think that's the best comparison to him. Um, and, and even on this play, Glenn, too, like where you, you see him, he cuts block 33, 33 gets back up because he lands on Quincy Nunoir. But look at the effort he does. Like this You talk about high-character guys. He isn't just – Laying the ground and wait for the play to run by him. He gets back up and blocks 33 out of this play, which allows Powell to get another couple extra yards. Like, look at that freaking effort. That's that's impressive to me, man. Yeah, and, you know, one guy that and, – and I didn't realize this till recently. I forget uh, – I forget – someone posted a couple videos, and I was – I came away really impressed. And it makes me wonder, you know, in, in terms of free agency, um, you know, at, at wide receiver. But uh, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is a receiver who, if you you watch him on a regular basis, I don't watch him regularly, but when I saw this, I looked up a lot of his stuff. That dude lays people out too. Like, yeah, and I, that him was, and Adams battled when they that, uh, when they played. Battle. Yeah, that that was my thought when I watched him. I was like, this guy is the closest thing I've seen to Quincy Inouye um, in terms of his willingness and his ability to lay guys out as a blocker, 
at wide receiver. So um, if you had to, you know, tell me, you know, pick a guy who can do what Quincy does, Landry might be the next closest thing. Yeah, and, and I talked about the, the nine routes here, and I'll just show you one more nine route. So I can, oh, oh, I just uh, – okay, I messed up. Um, yeah, this, this is another play. This is one of his highlights from that year, Glenn. I'm sure you remember this game and this catch, uh, just a nine-route catch or, you know, nine fade, whatever you want to call it, um, over Malcolm Butler for another great body control, high points to the ball. I had, the ball. I had a fantastic view of that catch. I was, uh, I was end zone front row on that side of the field. So you were back – somewhere here or whatever um well i I was actually i I was actually uh behind behind the goal post so i uh i had a good shot of that yeah that's just that's just a ridiculous catch too just really good patience now in terms of what he's lacking uh i'm not sure how much drops he had this year but like this browns game i think this is probably like like he made some great plays this game but he also had three drops this game uh that i counted and it's some concentration drops like here. It's just a he runs a snag or or a hitch or um, a comeback, whatever. I can't I can't really see um, from this angle, but a lot of concentration drops. So he can definitely work on on securing the ball because he did have a decent amount of drops, more than I would like to see. And then something else right. too that he 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 doesn't really find the soft spot in zones very well. And something else he does too is he, he lacks um, crispness on his routes. Where like here from the slide, you can see how just rounded his his route is here where the, the cornerback is just easily able to stick it with him. Like he doesn't – it's not even – he doesn't have to give any effort. And the reason right. this is because he starts his cut off of off of his uh, – off the wrong foot. Where you want to – if you're cutting to the inside, you want to start your cut off your outside foot. And he cuts inside off of his right foot going to the, going to the right. So um, some route running ability or some crispness that you would like to see, some, some technical things that he doesn't do too well. Where, but there are some times that I brought up the route before we ran it beautifully – um, but yeah, route running drops are some some areas he needs to work on. Um, but other than that, just just all around, really really fantastic player. And then I'm gonna bring up yeah, he was. Guy. I mean, and he, you know, he was a raw prospect coming out of Nebraska. Uh, you know, run heavy offense where he still managed to put up some pretty impressive numbers. So I think um, you know it was it was always gonna take him a little bit of time. But he There's has some plays. You know. Yeah, I know that's. You know, I remember. I think it was last off season when people again, people just they look at the stat, the the box score. Had people tell me, you know, we don't have none of our receivers are fast, and I was like, you know, this is because Robbie Anderson was constantly getting underthrown, and uh, Quincy Newman wasn't putting up big numbers. And I'm like, have you not watched these guys when they when when the quarterback does play decent and gets the ball in their hands? Have you not watched these guys outrun defenders? And, uh, and this is the type of stuff he does. They, that, that big play he had against New England in uh, week 17 a couple of years ago, that, I mean, the guy, he does make plays if you get the ball in his hands. Yeah, and that play versus the Ravens, what was that? I think it was a 69-yard touchdown. Um, this, he had this play, too, where he, showed, where he flashes some hands. This is probably his best play of the year, I, I, I thought. Um, but it's just deep over route, Glenn, and that catch is just ridiculous. People remember versus the 49ers when that defensive back uh, was going for the interception, and Anders or, or uh, Anunua just stuck his hand out there and stabbed the ball and took it away from uh, number 29 here. Like I said, if you're watching on YouTube, we're pulling it up on the screen. But he flashed ability and everything, blocking, route running, uh, catching. I'm, I, was, I said flashed ability or route running. So if you're saying, why did you say he's bad at it? Uh, he flashed ability. In it. it's, not the, it's not the cleanest thing. Uh, he can work on it, but he has the ability to do every single thing. Um, and the last one I want to bring up here too is that is probably another one of his best plays, but the yak, the yak ability with his 
uh, powerful trunk and, you know, being 225, he can truck some people over. We saw him get trucked over, uh, truck over Earl Thomas. We, I saw him uh, stiff arm uh, Vernon Davis, who's one of the best tackling corners in the NFL. Here he breaks, what, one, two, three, four tackles to get into the end zone versus the Browns. Uh, just, just, I can't say how impressed I was with this guy watching all of his film and breaking it down. So like I said, if you want to go on my Twitter where I explain, you know, 48 plays much more in depth than I just did here and, you know, five minutes talking about it, you can, um, you know, Joe RB 31, like I said, and you could see a lot more of this, but I'm really, really excited to get this guy back Glenn. Now, what do you think his contract looks like? Do the Jets they have a lot of clauses in there? Do they resign him? Because I, I just don't think you could replace a guy like him. I think a coach sees a guy like Quincy Newton on film, and they're just they're just dreaming about all the things they can do with that type of player. So for the people who say easily uh, easily replaceable, just just get rid of him. I think you're stupid because he does so many things like you just saw. Yeah, and I think that you know the biggest thing with him is going to be that I, I don't think he can he or his agents can expect much you know, in terms of money until he shows he can play, you know. So I think you get him back for a pretty low number. No one's going to give him big money. Who, who's going to pay a guy huge money who's coming back from a broken neck? Um, you know, there's probably some teams that wouldn't even touch him. So I think you can get him back for a low number. Uh, I've heard, you know, I've heard people wonder, you know, does he get a second-round tender? I don't, I don't see a need for that. I mean, maybe he does because really a second-round tender – isn't all that much. I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's like only two point two point like three seven million dollars. I, I was gonna say I thought it was two point one or two point two, but well, it's it's not much. So maybe you do that. Maybe you put a second round tender on him. Um, I would be be safe with it. Why not? Wesley Wesley Johnson yeah. got a, a second round tender this year, right, Glenn? So let me just look yeah, up. Exactly. Exactly. So let me look up at his it, his charge was two point seven million dollars. So if you put a second round tender, Two point seven million dollars on Quincy Nunwa. I'm fine with signing Nunwa for two point seven million dollars. Somebody signs him, yeah. you get a second round pick. I'm fine with that. But do not lose Quincy Nunwa because you're afraid of his injury. Um, hopefully, everything medical checks out. But he, he's he's a jack of all trades type of player. Maybe he's a guy who only gets eight nine hundred yards with a couple touchdowns a year. But the stuff that 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 goes, um, I kind of I, I I go I guess that goes without recognition is like the blocking that I show, the cut blocking, the lead blocking. Yeah, uh, the, crack the stuff block. that doesn't show up in the box score that, that most yeah. fans don't notice or don't pick up on that uh, really, you know, he brings so much. Yeah, so let's so let's quickly go over, I guess, the rookie seasons, Glenn. We, we've talked about it a lot. Um, Adams, you know, six pass deflections, a fumble recovery or a forced fumble, two fumble recoveries, two sacks. Uh, I would say overall, and I think going through the film now, like I said, on week seven, I'm really more impressed with him in coverage than I thought I was going to be. I thought he lived up to expectations, maybe slightly disappointing. I thought in times he got he got in trouble with his aggressiveness, whether try to be undercutting a block and letting a running back have an angle on him or dropping into a pile too early instead of containing the edge where he messed up a little bit or in coverage where he would try to – he bit too hard on a double move or he bit too hard on play action. I thought his aggressiveness kind of held him back at times, but I think coming into his second year he'll, he'll learn to kind of – hone back his aggressiveness and learn when to use it. Um, so I, I thought he was really good. Uh, the ankle tackling absolutely has to stop uh, with him where he lets up a couple extra yards every every time he tackles a running back, if he does get the tackle. There's plenty of times where he doesn't um, – where, where he doesn't, you know, finish the tackle, where he doesn't finish the tackle. But even when he does finish the tackle, it's, it's an extra yard or two for the running back that was picked up. So, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's something that, 
it, it was a little surprising, you know, for a guy that was as rated as highly as he was and, and as much talk about what a, what a refined player he was. We saw it early in preseason and we thought, you know, maybe that's something, you know, cobwebs are just getting used to the speed of the game. But a, a lot of uh, a lot of ankle tackles, and it's like it's one of those things where you can maybe kind of sort of get away with it for a little bit. But I'll tell you what, if this team ever comes around and and you know could could you imagine a whiffing on an ankle tackle and letting a guy score a game-winning touchdown in a must-win game? Uh, you know it'll kind of be up there with the uh, the Marcus Williams missed tackle in Minnesota. You know the fans yeah. would be all the fans would be all over him for that because really there's no reason for it. You know especially. You know, if you're going against a scat back, a guy with, with with quick feet, good agility, he sees you go for his feet. You know, he sees you dive for his ankles. He's going to beat you. And, well, Christian, and, Mc, uh, Christian McCaffrey, I remember he was cutting through the C-gap this year, and Adams over-pursued because he was being too aggressive and dove at his ankles. And McCaffrey just jumped, cut him, and, and just kept running up the field. So we saw that plenty exactly. of times. Exactly. Um, that, you know, those, those kind of things, they don't, they don't jump out as much when you're 5-11 and because teams score and people go, oh, whatever, we suck. But if you're good and you're trying to win a big game and you're supposed to be this, uh, you know, sixth round, sixth overall pick as a safety because you're an all-world player and you whiff on a dude because you jump, you dive at his ankles and he jumps over you. Yeah, and uh, even even versus the uh, Browns, like I said, I'll put a, that film review. It's going to make 100 freaking plays. But versus the Browns, he tried to dive uh, to tackle Isaiah Kroak around the knees and he put his head down when he did it instead of kind of driving through his eyes, uh, through the guy's hip or, you know, upper legs, and Cruel just stiff-armed him and, and kept running. So uh, put his head down and ankle, uh, ankle tackles too much. But, like, these are the plays I was talking about. Let me bring it up. Um, remember versus the Chiefs game where in coverage, he, he has some good recognition at times. And uh, on this play, he almost jumps the dig over the middle and gets an interception. He's right here. Uh, so he, he definitely had some plays and don't get us wrong with, you know, us criticizing him saying that he's not a really good player. I think he's going to be a pro ball player for many years. Absolutely. I just, I just think that he has to learn to, to kind of uh, chill out a little bit with his aggressiveness and, and stop ankle tackling. But like I said, he, he, he plays edge. He blitzes up the middle. He blitzes off the edge. He's a force player. He's an edge setter. He plays, you know, deep uh, half coverage. He plays deep fourth coverage. He plays deep third coverage he can play in cover six he can cover tight ends he can play in short flat zones he can play in hook zones he literally did every single thing you could ask from anybody on the field this year other than play nose tackle or defensive end um so he was he was damn impressive um and like I said on this play too where I'll just talk about his aggressiveness you see him uh right here on the top of the screen in man coverage on on Kels uh and he he jumps on the this is this is a sluggo a slant and go or as they call him, you know, slango or sluggo. He jumps on the on the slant portion of the route, and then uh, Kel, Kels, you know, cuts up vertically and, and beats him bad. Uh, and I think I think the ball is deflected. Yeah, the ball is deflected by panel um, at the line of scrimmage. He didn't get beat here, so you won't see this on the stat sheet. But he did get beat badly here by five yards or so. So he has to work on some of that stuff. But overall, guy who's learning a lot of positions, Glenn, I, I think he's a pro ball type of player. And, and so far. I'll say at least going through the film. I think I just went through his worst game, which was probably uh, – what game was it? Probably – I think it was New England or whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, so he, I, I was more impressed that, uh, than I thought, at least through the first um, seven games. But moving on – and sorry, Glenn, Kel, Kelsey. I always, I always say Kels. I don't know. I, I didn't know. I, I've never heard you say his name before. And I was like, did he just say Kels, like the book of Kels? I don't know. And, uh, I guess it is – I guess it's K E L C E. I just say Kels, but it's Kelsey. 
I'm sorry. Yes. I know it's Kelsey. Don't get on me, people. Don't hate me. I know. Uh, it. I just, I'm just trying to step I'm, in and get an assist, you know, like John um, um, I missed the dunk. But <laughs> so moving on to uh, Marcus May, what do you, you think? Two interceptions, two pass deflections, a forced fumble, 56 tackles. Yeah, he had a, he had a really good year. I'm not going to lie, better than I thought he would. Um, you know, we'll see how he does in year two. I think he's – I mean, he's definitely – he's, he's going to be the starter for the – for the foreseeable future, a very good pick in the second round. I think he, uh, I think we may see him get beat deep a little more than we did this year as teams, uh, you know, as teams start to challenge him down the field, um, whether or not he does, we'll see. I'm not saying I want to see him get beat, you know, just cause uh, you know, from what I saw from him in college, he got beat a little bit. He, you know, did a really good job around the line of scrimmage. He did a nice job on, you know, short area stuff inside the red zone. He looked outstanding. Um, and he looked good, you know, he looked good between the 20s too, but I, I feel like I saw him get beat on some bombs um, consistently enough that I thought I would see a lot of that his rookie year. We didn't. Yeah. Um, we did see that one big play from Travis Kels that comes to mind right away. Yeah, but, Glenn, uh, it's Kelsey. <laughs> oh, sorry, Joe. Sorry. Travis Kelsey. Uh, no, but really, you know, very good year for him, forcing turnovers. And I'll tell you what, much bigger hitter than I thought he would be in the pros. We saw him lay the wood quite a few times. I was really impressed with that. So, you know, you have to be excited as a Jets fan. Um, well, you don't have to be. I know some miserable Jets fans that are upset about every single move they make. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what they do. Some Jets fans just – they sit around and they just stare at the transactions waiting for any move to be made so they can say that the Jets are idiots and they can't believe they just did that. But um, any, any, any Jets fan who's not a, a self-loathing maniac um, would have to like these moves. Yeah, um, and I, I think, like I said, I'm going to do a Marcus May review too. Marcus May, there was a game he was a deep third, uh, completely left his zone. The the Saints, he he got he could have got beat easily, but somebody else was beat for a touchdown even more easily. I think it was Demario Davis in the flat, so they threw it to him. Um, but uh, overall, I was impressed. But he was deep. He he was beat uh, in coverage a little bit more than people think he was, and I will put that up uh, all the times that he was beat. I, I would say it was probably seven or eight, maybe nine touchdowns he could have allowed. Um, but the quarterbacks, whether it be Blake Bortles or Brian Fitzpatrick just weren't able to reach or, or, or uh, hit the throw. Even here, it's a cover two, and he bites on the play action to the middle of the field, and Brandon Cooks is running wide open up the sideline, but Brady just can't hit him in stride where this could have been an easy touchdown if Brandon Cooks didn't have to slow down. So Marcus May was a little bit more sketchy in coverage than people realize he was. Run game, uh, beginning of the year, he was, he was being too hesitant in the hole where he wouldn't close the gap. But then during the season, he progressively got better. He'd be, he, he would be more aggressive into the gap, and he would make some nice tackles. And he was conservative in tackling, too, where uh, he wouldn't try to be too aggressive where he would get beat in a foot race where he would be a little bit conser- uh, conservative and kind of limit runs. But overall, yeah, impressed. But coverage, he's more sketchy than people realize he was, trust me, uh, especially watching the film. But move on, Glenn. Uh, pick number three. Or pick uh, round three, pick seventy nine. Uh, Darius Stewart. I, I, overall, you have to say really disappointing rookie year. Uh, he couldn't get on the field. Uh, there were some rumors that he couldn't get the playbook down. But overall, for a third round pick, uh, six receptions, eight in, uh, for eighty two yards, uh, getting reps or out repped by JoJo Nats, and at times getting pl- outplayed by him, uh, getting used yeah. the troops and stuff. It was definitely a disappointing year for Darius Stewart. Hugely disappointing, and you know, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping it was just it was just poor coaching decision, because you know, as as I said, 
as I said, when the Jets signed Jeremy Curley, I was happy with the Curley signing, but not if it was going to take reps away from our Darius Stewart. Clearly it did. Um, you kind of felt like Stewart never got a, a, a as, as good of a look as he should have. I feel like we didn't see the Jets throw him in the ball beyond the line of scrimmage till week 17. And it was really just, it, it was just ridiculous to watch them, you know, uh, how they handled him. I felt like when you look at his college film, when you look at how he performed in the preseason, you thought he would be a bigger part of the offense, especially down the stretch when the, you know, I mean, let's face it, the playoffs were out of the question realistically before the season started. But I understand you play for the playoffs when the season's going on. Once they were eliminated, you still didn't see them getting him involved in the offense enough. Really disappointing. Um, and the next guy you're going to mention, Chad Hansen, he passed him on the depth chart. We saw some good things from him. He made some, he made some, you know, limited opportunities, but he made a couple of really nice catches. Um, we saw him break some tackles in the middle of the field. So he obviously did enough that he passed Stewart on the depth chart and made some plays in very limited opportunities. So encouraged by that. Yeah, he, even if, though, like, he, he did make some plays and he didn't get a lot of playing time opportunities, I would still say nine catches for 94 yards is still overall disappointing. Now, is it dis- more disappointing than, than- – Again. Yeah, Stewart. is it him? Like, if he if he got an opportunity, I think he would have been more productive. But I see what you mean. At the end of the day, he, you know, the numbers are what they are. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's a hell of a catch. That's contested. That's a high ball. That's that's a nice grab. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and, and great body control too. And something that you'll notice too, he doesn't just he doesn't just catch the ball here on the nine versus Lattimore. He doesn't just tuck the ball into the chest where where Lattimore can punch it out. He he purposely tucks his the. Uh, the ball away from Lattimore and turns his body away from him to secure the catch. So that's just, that's just fantastic body control in the air um, and a nice catch. So Hanson definitely was more, um, you know, impressive than Stewart where Stewart just didn't do anything. You mean on like, if you, if your forte is jet sweeps and running the ball and being aggressive and you're getting out rep by the, one of the worst players I've ever seen in Jojo Nats and that's, that's not good. So um, overall from Hanson, you know, a meh uh, rookie year, I would, I would say, but, more impressed than Stewart, which isn't saying too much. Moving on, Jordan Jordan Leggett, he played three preseason games for you know, got five receptions for sixty-four yards running the IR. So overall to say disappointing. Hopefully he comes back and, and he can play well in, a, in his second year. Uh he was a guy who we didn't love the draft pick. He he's, he can be an okay receiver. Um but over as a as a pass blocker, he, he's terrible at this point in his career. So yeah, yeah, disappointed he went on the IR, I guess, is all you can really say for this guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like his attitude. You know, he, he had this rep of being lazy, but he, uh, I didn't see any issues. I don't think anyone saw any issues in, in camp. He looked like he was putting into work, but he had a bulky knee that kept acting up throughout the season. I think he was active for a week or two. And even when he was active, he didn't really play. And then the knee acted up again, and they had to IR him. And I would, it's one of those things, man, as fans, you know, especially as closely as we follow this team, it it kills me to not know how he looked when he was healthy and practicing. Um, But uh, we got to wait till next year and, and see if he finds a way to get on the field and, you know, and make some plays. Next guy, Glenn, uh, Dylan Donahue, he played four games, get five tackles in those four games in the regular season. And then he went to IR as well. Overall, disappointing uh, injury or not, whatever. I'm not. I, I said it when you drafted him. I'm not impressed with him. I think at best he's a guy who's maybe a a a reserve player and a guy who's going to be a special teamer. At that I just don't see. I don't see the athletic ability um, from him to be a real contributor on any NFL team. Um, so IR though, disappointing. So 
Yeah, you know, it's such a small sample size that you can't really give a fair assessment. Yeah. Four games as a part-time player. I felt like, you know, his last couple games, he, was, he wasn't getting to the quarterback, but you, you could see him. It's one of those things where you, you saw him get some push and move some linemen around a little bit. And just at his size, you're like, he shouldn't even be able to do that. Like, he, at his size, going against offensive tackles, and you would just think he would get buried, but he didn't. So, you know, the, as much as they advertise, like, the effort and the fight and the grit, all that stuff is great, makes for a nice movie. Um, and it was there, it was evident, but you got to produce. I'm not going to knock the guy for not producing in his first four games because there are a lot of guys who don't produce in their first four games. So next year we'll get another look at him. And, uh, you know, it's it, – Anytime a guy plays a couple games and goes on IR, it's just an incomplete. You, you, you haven't seen enough of him to see what he can do. Oh uh, yeah, Glenn. Realistically, we should we should draw uh, judge a draft like three years after it. I'm not I'm not saying these yeah, are yeah yeah I, I know what you mean but yeah, yeah I'm not I'm not saying we're looking at these guys after one year. We're not saying this is what the finished yeah. product is of any. Yeah, we're not guys. saying that this is a, a pass or a fail in the draft. We're just saying how they performed in year one. Yeah, and you know because we have plenty of months until the draft and stuff, we have to kill time. Um, and just fill content. So it is what it is. Um, Glenn, the next guy, uh, round six, pick 188, McGuire, 86 rushes um, for a 3.6-yard average, which is not good, but the offensive line was just so damn bad. One touchdown, um, rushing the ball, and then 17 receptions for 177, 177 yards, uh, one touchdown in the receiving game. Overall, I was I was much more impressed than I than I thought I would be when we drafted him. I didn't think he was going to be a good player. I'm mad enough to admit that. Um, now this year, did he did he find lanes and and did he cut the ball back as well as Powell and Forte? No, I don't think he's as good as runners as I'm yet. But uh, overall, I was I was impressed with McGuire, and I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be, you know, a, a second or a third uh, type of running back in this league, which is fine for a guy in in the sixth round. So overall, I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for where you got him, the sixth round, uh, I, I said, you know, after watching him a little bit, I said he reminded me of Bilal Powell. And during the season, he reminded me of a, a younger Bilal Powell, a little more spring in his step. And, yeah. you know, as is the case with many running backs, if you give him a little bit of room, you know, he's, he's going to need some room to make a play. And he just didn't get that this year. And none of the backs did, really. And... Let, let's fix this old line and I think this is a guy who could be a playmaker and really when you talk about production and value I think when all said and done he could end up being the best pick of the draft you know for the Jets wow even over Adams and May no no I, I'm saying production for value oh value okay um like what, what was he sixth rounder yeah sixth rounder yeah so yeah. um but yeah we'll see I I, I I like him overall I do um the next two guys we'll just wrap them up in two uh, the, the two six-round picks, 197 and 204, Jeremy Clark didn't play all year. We knew that because of his um, injury. Uh, Derek yep. Jones played some special teams uh, snaps, very few. Yeah, um, no tackles. They, they, didn't, they didn't really play. So those you are guys, if you, get, if you get anything out of a sixth-round pick, you know, bravo. Um, we'll see. When you're talking know. about six, yeah, when you're talking about sixth and seventh rounders, it's like the goal is don't get cut. They didn't get cut. It was it was a, it was a successful season for them. Uh, now next year they have a year under their belts and hopefully um, you know hopefully find a way to contribute. Yeah, so Glenn, let's just wrap up the show. Let's just talk some. Let's, is there any other topics you want to you want to hit on before I talk about some of the playoff games or just wrap up our? Uh... Uh, not really. Just one one piece of news here. Not not huge news. I'll see okay. if I can find it. Uh, go. You, you keep going. I'll I'll see if I okay, can find it. Okay, so I'm this. gonna talk, I'm just gonna talk about the playoff game and stuff like that. So. 
we, uh, we always have audio. So Glenn can't make excuses of um, him not beating me this year. And, and they pick them, even though we're freaking close. We can tie, uh, actually. But uh, the last week we left, we, we were both 53 and 31. Uh, and then we picked the games. And we picked the Falcons versus Eagles. We both picked the Falcons. They lost 15 to 10 to the Eagles, which is just surprising. The, the, the Falcons look terrible. It was absolutely terrible that game. Uh, we both picked the Patriots, who beat the Titans 35-14, to 14, absolutely blew them out. We both picked the Steelers, who lost at home uh, to the Jaguars 45-42 to 42 in a shootout. The Steelers just – I don't know how they, they let up 45 points to, to uh, the Jaguars or Blake Bortles, and you know that they're going to run the ball with Fournette, and they just couldn't stop it, even though he didn't average a whole lot of yards per carry. Um, and then the game, I guess you're going to want to talk about, Glenn – uh, the Sunday at 4:40, the Saints lost to the Vikings, 29 to 24. I picked the Vikings. You picked the Saints. Fair to say, I was very excited with that Stephon Diggs touchdown at the end of the game. You know, I I didn't watch that live with the time difference. I watched the early game, and then that game was starting at like 1 a.m. or whatever it was over here, or midnight. And I just thought, man, I don't have it in me to stay up for this game. And uh, Needless to say, I woke up and like my entire Twitter feed was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm like, what happened? And then I turned it on and watched it and I was very unhappy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just, that was absolutely crazy. And I was watching that game. That's the first day I had the fever. But when that happened, I literally like jumped up in the middle of like, in the middle of my house and just screamed like, no freaking way. Like, I don't know how Marcus Williams even like go like fly back to New Orleans or he just ducks his head and just doesn't even look where he's tackling. He just completely misses him and takes it out of his own teammate. And Diggs just runs up the sideline for what a 60 yard touchdown on fourth and whatever it was. They needed 10 yards and they get out of bounds with like four seconds on the clock. They pick a really long field goal. That was absolutely crazy. Um, so yeah. So you went after that, you went one and three. I went two and two, so that brought my record. To- you feel for the guy, man. Oh, um, my connection just got sketchy, but yeah. So that week I went two for two. You went one for three, so that brought my record to fifty-five and thirty-three. You were fifty-four and thirty-four, and then we both picked the Patriots, who beat the Jags twenty-four to twenty in a really good game, where the Patriots lucked out on a lot of calls. They always get freaking calls. I'm not just saying that they always get calls. Um, and then we both picked the Vikings. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it it really is. They they luck out a really like a lot, and it's just it's just ridiculous to watch their games. Like I watch their games, I'm like they're gonna win. Doesn't matter if they're down, they're gonna I mean, win. They're good, and, and it's I'm I'm not I'm not even being a hater. Like they're I'm not denying they're great, but gee, like I I remember I was sitting there leading up to the half, and I was about to, I was about to tweet, you know, because the the pass were down a couple scores when they got the ball, and I almost tweeted out like time for the refs to make a play, and sure enough, man, two pass interference calls, whatever it was. Uh, the big one, which was total bullshit down the left sideline, where it was just great coverage. Uh, he did the classic Brevis, where he where he, where he he used the sideline as a as a yeah. defender. He he shoved that body. It wasn't it wasn't a catchable ball, and the coverage was great. And they throw a flag, and you're like, man, come on, man! Like, I, I don't know how you watch that with a straight face and don't say, uh, you know, something's up here, or just it's it's just it's ridiculous. But you, that's what happens, man. The Patriots are Michael Jordan. And back in the day, if you went within five feet of Michael Jordan, you got a foul. Like, you don't go near Michael, and you don't beat the Patriots. The Miles Jack fumble recovery. If they don't blow the whistle, 
That's a Miles Jack touchdown, and the game is over. That's it. Yep. It's done. He picks up that fumble. The ref's like, oh, yeah. stop, stop. That dude's going to the end zone. And it's funny, Come too, because, like, the refs, don't, the refs don't help themselves either because, like, after they score touchdowns, they rob to him, and I congratulate him on the last one with hug. them. After the They're game, five and Bill Belichick on the sideline. Yeah. They're like, they're looking at Robert Kraft and Dabby. They're like, woo! Yeah, you can't do that. Man. Come on. Uh, yeah, it's it is crazy, and that yeah that that's that's literally what Revis would do all the time, where he would use a sideline, where it's he would just ridiculous. slowly use a sideline and force the receiver out of bounds or to have no room on the sideline, and yeah. that's and that's what whatever that cornerback's name, I forget who it was. That's what they did, and they called it pass interference. Yeah, it's not like he uses his was arms. It Bowie, was it Bowie or Ramsey? I forget who it was. I, I think it was Boye. Yeah, I think so. Um, but okay, so yeah, we both picked the Patriots who beat the the Jags twenty four to twenty, and we both picked the Vikings who who got blown out by the Eagles, an embarrassing game, uh, thirty to seven. I never thought I would turn a conference championship game off, but like after halftime when the Eagles scored and it was like thirty one to thirty five or, or I mean thirty five to seven or whatever, I was like, I'm not, I'm gonna turn this off. So they Nick, got blown Nick out. Nick Foles go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, what do they do if Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl? And then what? Like, when, I know Wentz is going to come back, but that's like, kind of weird for them. Like, hey, you want a Super Bowl for us? Thanks. We'll see you later. That's some, that's some good trade. It'd be like Dilfer with the, with, the, with the Ravens. Ravens, yeah. Um, It'd be like, look, man, we won a Super Bowl, but we know it wasn't because of you. But, I mean, you might be able to get a pick for Nick Foles. Yeah, so so we're not going to pick the Super Bowl now. And the funny thing is, like I said, I'm in the academy. I have to wake up at 3 Yeah, o'clock. we're, we're going to keep you in suspense. So you can wonder if we're going to pick Tom Brady or Nick Foles. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk about it more. The matchups and stuff. But yeah, so we both went one on one. So I'm fifty six and thirty four, and you're fifty five and thirty five. Glenn, you're going to have to pick the Eagles, or you or you lose. So you're. So it's either you're going to pick the Eagles, or we're going to tie it up, and then we'll be. I'll be one one and zero against you, and you'll be one. No, you'll be oh one and one against me. So I'm still going to have that that win on you from last season. Um, yeah. It is what it is. I don't – just I, – honestly, I lucked out with that Diggs. If it wasn't Diggs, I, I would be in the same position you are. So, that – I just got lucky. Um, no, another way you lucked out is that I'm so damn lazy. I was sitting on my couch before that Eagles game started, and I, as my, I, I wasn't sure they'd win that game, but I do – I love that Eagles defense. And you shot me that text, like, do you want to pick the other way? So – and I'm sitting on my couch literally, and I'm, I'm looking at my phone, I'm like, I should text Joe and take the Eagles. And I'm like, ah, the phone's all the way over there. Oh, no big deal. Who cares? And then they won. I was like, damn it, I should have texted them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a crazy game. So, Glenn, is there anything else you want to um, finish up with? Is there any uh, topics? Callahan. Is, that, that was the thing I was going to mention. Um, Brian Callahan, that was something we didn't talk about. He was the, uh, the Lions quarterbacks coach last year. He is reportedly coming in to interview for the same position with the Jets. And I believe the Titans are also bringing him in to interview for the same job. So, that's one name being floated. He's done some nice work with Matt Stafford, and the Jets are uh, trying to bring him in to work with whoever their quarterback is next year. Okay, Josh McCown. Yeah, I'm not gonna go crazy about it. if they like him. They like him. I'm not. Gonna, I don't know a whole bunch about quarterbacks, coach. I know that there's like a couple gurus out there. If they get them, yeah, it's great. But you know, Callahan, I'm not gonna. Off the top of my head, I don't know a whole bunch about him. So if they like him, they like him. Uh, Glenn, is there anything else you want to uh, say before we uh, wrap the show up and are back next Wednesday? Oh, that's what I was gonna no. say. Actually, before I'm, the, the thing that's gonna suck is I'm not gonna, I'm, dude. I'm not gonna be able to watch the Super Bowl. I well, maybe, really? I, dude. I, like, listen, those first like like week and a half, or even like the first two weeks of the month, they call that like the hell month, the hell week. You know, because you're in the military, so they beat the shit out of you every day. You're just they're putting lipstick on dudes. They're making your you know 
sir, uh, uh, sir, this recruit is a little bitch, sir. Like you have to like call, you know, running around, you know, put the bag down. Okay. Uh, pick the bag back up, you know, unzip it, yep. throw all your Welcome shit everywhere. Down. Yeah. You know, up, yeah. downs, running sprints, that stuff. Uh, so I, I have to wake up at 3am. The Super Bowl starts at 8, 830. I'm not gonna be able to stay for the freaking Super Bowl. There's no way. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it, but it's gonna, it'll start at like one, one thirty in the morning here. And I have college. So, so. so I'm going to ask a lot of people who follow me on Twitter on this. Um, and if I follow you on Twitter, which I don't follow a ton of people because I don't, you know, I, there's limited news I want to see. Um, you know, just don't tweet about the Super Bowl if you could until the next Friday because I'm probably going to watch I'm, it. I, I, I can tell you what's going to happen. The Patriots are going to get some calls and they're going to win. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I didn't mean to spoil it for you, Joe. They're not going to get any penalties. The other team, the, the, the Eagles, the Eagles, they've, they, they just threw a flag right now against the Eagles. They, they've already started. They're, they're the probably Patriots. watching film on what they can throw flags about the Eagles on. Um, yep. But, yeah, I'm probably going to watch like that Friday, which sucks, but it is what it is. Real life gets in the way sometimes. Um, yep. Okay, so we'll wrap the show up. Uh, follow Glenn at AceFan23. Follow me at JoeRB31. Check out that Inunwaugh film review, 48 plays, and Adam should be up this week. Uh, like I said, the shows for the next four months are only going to be an hour max. I, I have things to do. I'm sorry. I'm going to be pushing out content a little bit slower, but deal with it. Uh, um, so go on YouTube, subscribe, watch us on there. We appreciate all our listeners. We really, really do. Sorry we were gone for a week, but pneumonia really sucks. And we will be back next Wednesday at 6 o'clock, and I'll be bald as all bald. Um, so we look forward to that, and we'll talk to you then.